0: Circumstances under which you would consider pulling out of no. the race for
1: speaker. There is no. not one. There's not one. Uh, three strikes for Kevin McCarthy, wow. but he says it's not over yet. It is not over yet. Good morning, everyone. I mean, look, you're looking at Caitlin in Washington. Obviously, it is <laughs> I not I told
2: you she wasn't going to be here. I, I called this at the end of the show yesterday. Yeah.
1: She's going to need some uh, <laughs> friends there. and drinks and some yeah debriefing when she gets back And some extra to clothes. <laughs> and some extra clothing some. we'll send you before you get back. Kevin McCarthy failed to. I'm Don Lemon, Poppy Harlow, Caitlin's in Washington, as you can see. Kevin McCarthy failing to win enough votes to become the House Speaker. What's going to happen today when Congress reconvenes? And how long will the power struggle last?
3: That's the question, Don, because there is still chaos happening here on the Hill. We're going to speak with members of McCarthy's party who voted for him and against him and for him and then against him. The showdown is now spilling out into a second day here.
2: And resuscitated twice. That is what we have learned overnight. uh, How far the medical staff had to go to save DeMar Hamlin's life. What his uncle is telling CNN. We'll take you live this morning to Cincinnati.
3: But we begin this morning here on Capitol Hill with Republican rebellion that is preventing Kevin McCarthy from achieving his dream of becoming House Speaker for now. McCarthy failing to get enough votes on three separate ballots that stretched for hours yesterday. The voting and the potential standoff is going to resume in the House in just a few hours from now. It is the first time in a century that members of Congress failed to choose a speaker on the first ballot. Despite the historic stalemate, McCarthy tells CNN that he still has no intention of dropping out of the race and that he does still have the backing of former President Trump.
4: From that perspective, he thinks it's better that all the Republicans get together to solve this. It doesn't look good for Republicans, but we want to be able to solve it where we're stronger in the long run. Where what we went through today, it, it, in the end, becomes a positive that we're actually focused, united much does more. Did he say does he want you to stay in the race? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, so he's just, talked to a lot of people on the did all sorts. Such-
3: we should note, Trump has not said that publicly. CNN's Lauren Fox is here, joining us now. Is it clear as of 6 a.m. this morning what Kevin McCarthy's strategy is going to be today? Well, we are again finding ourselves in this historic moment
5: with Republicans having this really a stalemate over what is going to happen next in their leadership, in their future governing of this body. They were elected in November. And so far, this is what voters have seen. The newly elected Republican majority on Capitol Hill at a stalemate with no speaker elected.
4: This is a healthy debate. So it might not happen on the day we wanted, it, but it's going to happen.
5: Republican leader Kevin McCarthy still fighting for the leadership role even after losing three rounds of votes Tuesday. Congress adjourned after the third vote when 20 GOP members voted against McCarthy, all voting instead for Representative Jim Jordan. Jordan, for his part, does not want the job, voting three times for McCarthy. The so-called Never Kevin Republicans working the phones well into the night, trying to grow their opposition to McCarthy.
6: We need the leadership
7: and the tools to stop the swamp from running over and stepping all over the American people. Right now, I'm holding the line because I think we need this place to operate differently.
5: THE CALIFORNIA REPUBLICAN REMAINING CONFIDENT, TELLING REPORTERS TUESDAY NIGHT HE ONLY NEEDS 11 MORE VOTES, SUGGESTING THAT SOME MEMBERS OF CONGRESS MAY VOTE PRESENT TO LOWER THE THRESHOLD HE NEEDS TO CROSS THE FINISH LINE.
4: we GOT TO FIND A WAY THAT WE ALL WORK TOGETHER. SO I DON'T KNOW WHO ELSE COULD ACTUALLY PUT THAT TOGETHER. I DON'T THINK THERE'S ENOUGH.
5: Although the GOP infighting, race is on, with Representative Matt Gates in a letter to the architect of the Capitol questioning why McCarthy's allowed to occupy the Speaker's office, writing, how long will he remain there before he's considered a squatter?
8: If you want to drain the swamp, you cannot put the biggest alligator in charge of the exercise.
5: McCarthy supporters feel it was a mistake to adjourn Congress Tuesday and are frustrated the party is being held hostage by 2% of its members.
9: The support is still very strong for for Kevin McCarthy and no one's now saying we wanna find a consensus candidate. It
5: was conversations like this one between representatives Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Paul Gozar where some in the GOP feared Democrats were planning to leave the floor or vote present, so McCarthy could have a lower threshold to become the speaker.
10: It is unlikely, but it is there's always a possibility. I do believe that uh, in some of those conversations, um, there are things that are happening on the floor. These machinations are happening on the floor. And this is what Democrats have been arguing
5: all along, that this is really showing disunity among Republicans, that this is showing that they aren't ready to govern. The more likely scenario is that moderate Republicans at some point get to the place where they say McCarthy's not going to have the votes. We may need to have some conversations with Democrats about whether there's some kind of consensus moderate Republican candidate. I don't think Democrats are going to leave the floor to give Kevin McCarthy the upper hand, Caitlin.
3: Well, noticeable because he is in the speaker's office right now. We'll see how long he keeps his stuff there. Lauren Fox, thank you for the great reporting. So who is going to be Nancy Pelosi's successor? There are a number of ways this could play out, as Lauren was just noting there. So here to walk us through some of the possible scenarios is CNN's senior data reporter, Harry Enten. Harry, obviously McCarthy failed to get the votes yesterday. It was three ballots that we saw. What are you expecting to happen today when they're back at noon?
9: Yeah, I mean, that's the big question. What can happen? And we're basically in uncharted territories here, at least over the last century. So let's walk through some of the possibilities, right? All right. Let's start with option number one. History says that Kevin McCarthy can still win this thing. Just go back over a century, right? The last time we had multiple ballots. Frederick Gillette, who was the GOP leader back then, went on the ninth ballot after failing on eight ballots. He was able to do so by cutting a deal with an ideological wing. In that case, it was the progressives. But much like Kevin McCarthy may need to do here where he could cut a deal with a very conservative wing. OK, but if it's not Kevin McCarthy, then who may it be? OK, so one option is Majority Leader Steve Scalise. Why is he a potential alternative? One, unlike McCarthy, he faced no opposition in the November leadership election, so he seems more popular, at least broadly, among the GOP in Congress. Two, he has a more conservative vote record than McCarthy. But keep in mind, because he's a little bit more conservative, he could lose moderates. And also keep in mind, he isn't as conservative as most of the anti-McCarthy reps, so maybe he won't work out. Well, then you might have to move on to option number three perhaps it will be the former House GOP deputy with Patrick McHenry. Keep in mind that he's ideologically in between McCarthy and Scalise. Think back to 1999, when in fact you had a similar size in Congress, and it was the third option back then, Dennis Hastert, who became Speaker. So those are three potential options, Caitlin.
3: Okay, those are three options, but it feels like we're operating in a bit of a wild, wild, west scenario here, where no one really knows what's going to happen. So if there's no alternative you know, what happens then? Because right now, you know, committees are going to have interim chairmen. There's no legislation that's going to get passed. It's kind of at a gridlock here on the Hill. Yeah,
9: I mean, look, could be that perhaps the anti-McCarthy reps, their choice, uh, Jim Jordan gets elected by the more moderates, maybe the moderate GOP gives in, or maybe you end up with that coalition government that you were just speaking about there with some, Debs, De- some Dems backing, in fact, a more moderate Republican, Or maybe what ends up happening is Hakeem Jeffries, some moderate reps are like, screw it, we're gonna go with him. So look, who knows what might happen, Caitlin? It's the wild, wild west.
3: Yeah, certainly is. Harry Enten, thank you, Don. I mean, just speaks to the, the moment that we're seeing here on Capitol Hill.
1: Yeah, and back to all the details in the chaos in just a moment, Caitlin. This morning, new details on Buffalo Bills' safety, Demar Hamlin's fight for his life. He suffered a cardiac arrest on the field during Monday night's game against the Cincinnati Bengals after making a tackle. Hamlin's uncle describing to CNN his nephew's condition.
11: Well, his heart had went out, so um, they had to resuscitate him twice. They resuscitated him on the field before they brought him to the hospital, and then they resuscitated him a second time when he got to the hospital. So um, I just want to show my gratitude for the medical uh, staff that were on hand because if not for
1: them, my nephew probably wouldn't even be here. Let's get right now to seeing as Adrian brought, Adrian brought us live for us now in Cincinnati with more. Good morning to you, Adrian. What else did we learn from Demar's uncle about how he's doing?
12: good morning to you don uh, demar's uncle dorian glenn told me his nephew is fighting this morning he is still in the intensive care unit listed in critical condition his uncle tells me he is on a ventilator and sedated the family also saying they won't be able to rest until demar is out of the icu here's more on my conversation with demar's uncle dorian
11: He's he sustained some, some damage to his lungs, and they're working to to try to, um, to, try to remedy, remedy that. And um, they got him on a ventilator to help with the breathing, too, just to take some of the strain off his lungs so they can heal and recuperate. So, yeah, it just, it's just a sad situation all the way around.
12: Dorian also telling me that Damar is lying on his stomach. Doctors told the family they've put him in this position to take the pressure off of his lungs. And that's what you heard him describing there in the conversation. And it's also helping, according to uh, Damar's uncle Dorian, it's helping to remove the fluid from his lungs, Don.
1: All right, Adrian brought us in Cincinnati. Adrian, thank you very much. We appreciate that. I want to bring in our CNN's chief medical correspondent, Dr. Sanjay Gupta. Doctor, good morning to you. We're learning all these new details. Mm -hmm. Your reaction to what you heard from the uncle in that interview with Adrian, what he had to say, that he had to be resuscitated twice, once in the field, Mm -hmm. again at the hospital?
13: Yeah, I mean, these are some concerning details. I I, I will say that, you know, at some point we will hopefully hear from the medical team uh, to get a better idea of what exactly has transpired. You know, sometimes things can get a little bit lost in translation with all these things. But what we had heard was that, and DeMar had had a, 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 um, a defibrillator placed while he was on the field. His heart had been in this fibrillation-like state, uh, meaning that instead of pumping normally, it was doing what you see there on the screen, sort of quivering, fibrillating. And that's why you defibrillate, uh, to essentially try and uh, create a more normal rhythm again. Um, that seemed to have worked. Uh, we saw that he was waiting in the ambulance, taken to the hospital. But then now, at least according to Adrian's reporting, Um, it was an unstable electrical rhythm. He needed to be resuscitated again. So that's obviously of concern. Also, he's on this breathing machine, um, but it sounds like in order to better uh, ventilate him, they needed to flip him over onto his chest. Mm -hmm. And that's a sign that he's probably had fluid that's built up in his lungs. Essentially what happens is the heart not beating well, fluid starts to back up into the legs, into the feet, but also into the lungs. And that becomes very hard for gas, for oxygen and carbon dioxide to exchange. So one thing you do is you flip somebody over. You may have heard, uh, remember us talking about similar sorts of things at the beginning of the pandemic, when mm-hmm. they were trying to figure out uh, how best to ventilate patients. These are concerning signs. Now, he's, he's a young man, otherwise presumably healthy. We still don't know what's at the root cause of all this, what exactly happened. That will help determine, give an idea of outcomes as well. But these are, you know, he's got a long road in front of him. And I suspect at some point we'll hear from the medical teams, but it may not be for a while because they still need to continue to assess, take care of him, figure out the impact this has all had on his other organs as well.
2: Mm. Sanjay, I assume that these few days are really critical in terms of getting an indication as to how he might recover and how full his recovery could be, because that's very possible to have a really full recovery. Um, yeah. When, when do you think it, it, we would have an indication of that?
13: Well, it, first of all, it, it, is, it is possible, and I think the biggest advantage that he has, again, is he's a young, healthy man prior to all this. So that's certainly going to work in his favor. What I would say is that, um, you know, you got to measure these things in days and weeks as opposed to hours and days. Mm-hmm. It, it could take some time and typically the medical establishment will be conservative before they're going to give any kind of prognosis or sort of updates because they want to have all the data and they, not only, and they also want to be able to uh, uh, see how the impact has been on his other organs. Right now he's probably in what some people would sort of describe as a medically induced coma when the heart is not working well and two things you want to do. You want to try and increase the function of the heart, but also decrease the demands from the rest of the body on the heart. And that means sedation. It might even mean hypothermia, cooling someone down. So it, that, that just takes a while. I, I would say it's, it's going to be days probably before we start to hear things definitively.
1: Yeah. Listen, well, so I read that I had the timeline yesterday of you know when it happened, how long it took for them to start resuscitating him, getting him on the field, getting him into an ambulance, getting him into the hospital. The question is, um, it's still not known why he went into cardiac arrest, right? And whether, you know, I wonder if the NFL are examining what happened there, and also if they were prepared enough at this moment, um, you know, when when this happened, and are they prepared going forward?
13: Yeah, I mean, with regard to the first question, uh, yes, I've been talking to sources uh, very high up at the NFL. Uh, That is a question that they're going to try and answer as to, you know, obviously what exactly happened here, although it is worth saying you may not know. You may not know for certain exactly what happened. Sometimes these answers aren't clear. But what I think is really important here as well is that if you look at the resources that the NFL has in order to take care of a situation like this, it's pretty incredible. I mean, first of all, they do this emergency action plan meeting before the game starts. Both teams, both medical teams, the referees, everyone getting together, who's gonna do what, who's in charge. They also have a level one trauma center that is designated. They have two crews of paramedics and ambulances on standby, and they have defibrillators that are uh, available at all times. That's an incredible amount of resources, and you saw that come into play. Within seconds, they were assessing him. There was hand signals, radio signals, bring on the uh, paramedics. Mm -hmm. So all that took place really quickly, and I think it made a difference, obviously, as we've heard. Um, most places don't have that level of resources. A high school game, you know, that, that, that may not have that same sort of thing. What, what happened here in terms of the, the uh, sudden cardiac arrest that could happen anywhere, these resources uh, are, are really crucial in order to save
2: someone's life. I had no idea they do all that before the game. Wow, that's eye-opening. And it is a lot. Uh, Dr. Gupta, thank you very much. So this morning, the NFL says the Bills-Bengals game will not happen. This week, one of Hamlin's teammates, Bills offensive tackle Dion Dawkins, did this remarkable interview with our colleague and friend Wolf Blitzer. And here's what he said about that being the right call.
14: I'm truly blessed that we didn't have to keep playing. Um, we don't control that. The fact that we didn't have to go back out, like out, out there on that field and play um, it just shows that there there is care, and uh, that's all that we could ever ask for is that, you know, we get treated as people because, you know, like most people just treat us as as athletes and as superstars.
2: No one knows that better than our Coy Wire, who joins us live from Buffalo. We should note you were a safety. You played the same position as Hamlin on the Bills six years on that field. You're there now. Talk about being there and also how consequential that. D- How consequential that decision is by the NFL that that you just heard him say made them feel like humans.
8: Right, Poppy. Yeah, this is an unprecedented decision. It's powerful, too. And most importantly for the human aspect Deion Dawkins described, it shows there is perhaps a paradigm shift occurring before our eyes within the NFL regarding the importance of player health and safety, in this case, the mental health, too, right, to cancel that game in the middle of the game. Uh, But I spoke to a high-ranking league official, Poppy, heavily involved in the decision-making process regarding game Scheduling, And they told me there are intense discussions about how and especially if this Bills-Bengals game should be finished. Huge playoff implications regarding seeding and potentially receiving a bye for Buffalo. Uh, As a former player, I would be nauseated by the thought of having to return to that stadium after witnessing and being traumatized by what I witnessed. Um, uh, if, If the game is not made up, Poppy, and since the Bills and Bengals would each have one less game than the other AFC playoff contenders, I'm told that the league would then use win percentage OF TEAM RECORDS TO DETERMINE PLAYOFF BIRTH SEEDINGS, ET CETERA, AS OPPOSED TO THEIR OVERALL RECORD, POPPY, WHICH IS TYPICALLY HOW IT'S DETERMINED. Mm.
1: LISTEN, NOT SURPRISING, COY, THAT THERE'S BEEN OUTPOURING, YOU KNOW, IN, in BUFFALO, SO MUCH SUPPORT, BUT THIS MUCH, MY GOODNESS.
8: Yeah, uh, DON, DAMAR NEEDS IT. THE TEAM NEEDS IT. I SPOKE TO A HIGH-RANKING OFFICIAL WITHIN THE ORGANIZATION at ABOUT 11.30 LAST NIGHT AFTER A LONG DAY OF MEETINGS, AND THEY BROKE DOWN CRYING. Sobbing because of the heaviness of everything this team, this city, these people uh, have been through. Uh, the, the moment you land in Buffalo, you walk through the airport, you start seeing signs and shirts reading Pray for Damar everywhere. Mm-hmm. The Buffalo Sabres hockey team arriving uh, last night at their game in Washington, wearing a shirt uh, reading Love for Three. That's Damar's jersey number. And in the arena, uh, uh, they uh, there was a powerful moment when Tage Thompson, their star, on January 3rd, just three minutes into overtime, was Tage Thompson's third goal, his third hat trick, and 30th goal of the season. Trouble. The team uh, tweeting afterwards uh, that this one was for DeMar. Uh, it may, Don and Poppy, be a sign that something much higher than just the people are part of the outpouring of the support that you speak about, Don.
2: Yeah, amen to that. That's what Dion Dawkins was saying yesterday to Wolf, too. Yeah. Prayers, prayers, and prayers. Thanks, Coy. Thanks, Coy. Next, a- Big move overnight by the FDA, allowing pharmacies to offer abortion pills, even as some states seek to ban them.
1: And the Idaho quadruple murder suspect stopped by police twice before his arrest. You're going to see the body cam video. More CNN this morning to come after the break.
2: Welcome back. This morning, the FDA is announcing a big move on uh, access to abortion. We're talking about the pill or the medication for it. This comes, of course, after the Supreme Court struck down Roe v.ersus Wade. What's changed? Is it pharmacies? Like your average pharmacy is now able to sell these abortion pills to people who have a prescription. CNN Medical Correspondent, Dr. Tara Narulu joins us now. So you need a prescription. Correct. But this is different than the morning after pill, for example.
15: Yeah. So this is basically meant to medically induce an abortion. And as you said, this is probably going to expand access to many, many women, making it much easier if they want to be able to get these pills by going to potentially their local pharmacy. And so historically, in order to get access, a woman had to go in person to a doctor's office, hospital or clinic and get that drug right there. Um, Over the course of the pandemic, that was changed a little bit. So a woman could have a telehealth visit and have it sent to them by a mail order from a certified pharmacy. But now the FDA is saying you don't have to go in person, number one. And number two, you could potentially go to any of these brick and mortar pharmacies who fill out essentially paperwork to make themselves certified. So mm. it remains to be seen how many of the big chains like CVS or Walgreens are going to, to do this. Um, will we see this in the beginning in just smaller pharmacies? But what we may see as well is more doctors being willing to prescribe these drugs because they don't need to stock the drugs in their office, so it's definitely going to become easier for a lot of women.
1: It's interesting because I over the holidays I saw an ad. Could it be for this? Because they just did really? this. I saw an ad. The woman walking out of the pharmacy, saying, "You know, my, you know, I was able to make my own choice," and blah blah blah. I don't know if it was for the morning. Or Acabill,
15: advocating for this. But I, I thought this? it
1: was for this particular thing, so this so, I don't know.
15: Yeah, I mean, this is basically, we're talking about a two-drug regimen, when we know yeah. that medication-induced abortions um, are actually responsible for over half of abortions in this country. So they've kind of overtaken surgical abortions. Yeah. And basically, we're talking about the first drug, mifepristone, in a two-drug regimen. It's that mm. first drug that was difficult to get. And you can take that up to 10 weeks. Um, and this drug's been around since 2000. So this is really a big change uh, for a lot of women.
3: Okay.
1: Thank you, Dr. Tara Narula. Thanks for helping Appreciate us understand. It. Thanks. Caitlin?
3: All and right, back here on Capitol Hill. That historic speaker vote was peculiar in more ways than one. There were a few eyebrow-raising moments you may have missed on the House floor yesterday. And what were Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Matt Gaetz and Paul Gosar talking about? Plus?
16: At this point in the investigation, we do not believe Mr. Renner was impaired at all, and we believe this is... A tragic accident.
2: We do have new details about what happened to actor Jeremy Renner. His first photo that he put out from his hospital bed, his message to his fans, and an update on his condition ahead.
16: McCarthy did everything he could to cozy up to Trump and the MAGA circus in the House and he's still facing a revolt from the looniest members of the GOP. Did McCarthy think one visit to Mar-a-Lago was going to magically solve everything? That place is the opposite of Disney World. It's where dreams go to die. Oh, so no way. So it's the
17: same as Disney World. Technically, the Constitution doesn't require the Speaker of the House to be an elected member of Congress. It could be any American which to me sounds like the premise for a pretty solid Pauly Shore movie. (laughs) Right? I mean, come on.
7: He needs 218 votes to win, but in the first two votes, he got only 203. Okay, he lost twice. But you know what they say, third
9: times uh, he also lost. (laughs)
3: No shortage of fodder for the late night hosts after what happened here on Capitol Hill yesterday when Kevin McCarthy made history as the first lawmaker in 100 years to be denied the speaker's gavel after just one vote. As McCarthy watched ballot after ballot after ballot fail, he sat there in the House chamber at times laughing, looking amused or whispering to a senior aide sitting next to him. But while McCarthy appeared to laugh, off, laugh it off in front of the cameras, he is facing a real threat from the divisions within his own party when it comes to this second bid for House Speaker. The last time McCarthy wanted to be Speaker, he bowed out before the voting had even started.
4: We should put this conference first. And I think there's something to be said for us to unite. We probably need a fresh face. I'll stay on as majority leader. But the one thing I found in talking to everybody if we are going to unite and be strong, we need a new face to help do that. So nothing more than that.
3: That was 2015. This is now. McCarthy is vowing to fight until he secures the job.
4: I think at the end of the day, we'll get everybody well,
12: At this point, if
18: you fail three times, how do you possibly pull this off?
4: And get to
19: 218.
3: The hours of action, or really inaction, on Capitol Hill yesterday continued to drag on as lawmakers braced for a long night of negotiations in the Capitol after they adjourned. Ordering in pizza here, as you can see it being wheeled into McCarthy's office, they continued to meet behind closed doors.
16: McCarthy. McCarthy.
3: That was just one of the many moments that stood out yesterday, McCarthy not paying close attention when it was the time for him to vote for himself in the third round of votes. There was another curious moment yesterday, though, as cameras in the chamber were trained on members as they were going back and forth while this voting was happening. Democratic Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was spotted chatting. When the Republican Paul Gosar, the lawmaker who has ties to white nationalists and, remember, was censured after he posted that altered anime video depicting him killing AOC and President Biden.
20: Does anyone in this chamber find this behavior
10: acceptable?
20: Would you allow depictions of violence against women, against colleagues, would you, would you allow that in your home? Do you think this should happen on a school board, in a city council, in a church? And if it's not acceptable there, why should it be accepted here?
3: A spokesman for Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez told CNN that Gosar was asking her if any Democrats were planning to vote present. That's a tactic that's been discussed so Marthy could have a lower threshold that he needed to overcome. Also yesterday, George Santos had a hard landing in Washington on his first day. The Republican congressman-elect, who has admitted to making many false claims about his background and largely has hidden from reporters or only spoken to conservative outlets since that news broke, was unable to do so when he was here on Capitol Hill yesterday. He was seen sitting alone in the chamber, sometimes checking his phone. His fellow New York Republicans were openly criticizing him, saying that his conduct is embarrassing.
21: Listen, his conduct uh, is embarrassing uh, and unbecoming, uh, and it is certainly a distraction.
3: Of course, one of the pitfalls from yesterday is that new members were not actually sworn in because there was no House Speaker. George Santos is one of those, though his campaign website did say later on that he was sworn in. Uh, Of course, the members who may have had the worst time here, the family members, were those, the lawmakers who brought their families here to Washington thinking they were going to be sworn in, but instead you saw sleeping kids in the chamber as the McCarthy speaker fight was playing out, bored children there, as you can see in the in the aisles. Some of them maybe wished they were in school after all because of the hours of speeches that were going on. Of course, today the House is expected to hold another day of voting potentially. We are waiting to see what happens. Democrats have really been reveling in the Republican disarray, saying they are bringing popcorn for today. Ahead on CNN this morning, we're going to talk with two House Republicans: Byron Donalds, who switched his vote from speaker, his speaker vote from Kevin McCarthy to Jim Jordan yesterday; Brian Mast, who also voted for Kevin McCarthy.
1: And unfortunate um, Santos putting out that statement, Caitlin, saying that he was sworn in by the Speaker of the House. <laughs> No speaker of the house. I
2: think a lot of folks had statements yeah. ready, right, Caitlin? Yeah. <laughs> he wasn't the
3: only one, but one. I just think the idea that it was it was one of those moments where, also, Donya, you know, we've been talking about this story so much, there was also that clip of George Santos saying that Kevin McCarthy was going to be sworn in as speaker mm-hmm. yesterday. Obviously, that did not happen.
1: Yeah, going to be sworn in as speaker, and I think he said, you can bet on it, I'll pay you, or something like that. We'll mm. get back. Thank you, Caitlin. Appreciate it. So uh, we want to talk now about what happened to actor Jeremy Renner. Sharing this from his hospital bed. There's a photo. Thank you all for your kind words. I'm too messed up now to type, but I send love to you all. He's recovering after undergoing two surgeries. as Chloe Chloe Malas joins us now. Chloe, good morning to you. How's he doing, that picture? I mean, he doesn't look so good in that picture. Doesn't
22: look so good, but let's keep in mind, we learned in a press conference yesterday by the sheriff's office that it was a 14,000-pound snowcat. Wow. So, this is happy news today. He's alive. He's going to make a full recovery. And you saw on Instagram that selfie from the hospital bed. I spoke to a representative uh, for him yesterday who released a statement saying he's awake, he's happy, he's talking, yeah. and that the family is just still wanting the love and support and the well wishes. And wasn't he trying to help someone? Yes. So, during the press conference, we finally got those details that we've all been wanting to know. Here's what happened. Take a listen.
16: After successfully towing his personal vehicle from its stuck location, Mr. Renner got out of his piston bully to speak to his family member. At this point, it is observed that the piston bullies started to roll. In an effort to stop the rolling piston bully, Mr. Renner attempts to get back into the driver's seat of the piston bully. Based on our investigation, it's at this point that Mr. Renner is run over by the piston bully.
22: Okay, so he was towing his car that got stuck in the snow in his driveway that a family member of his was driving. He tows it with the snowcat. He gets off of the snowcat to talk to this family member, as you heard, and then that's when it started to roll and he tried to get on. Luckily, family members' neighbors rushed to his aid, brought towels, called 911, but because of the snow conditions in the area, over three feet of snow, it took officers over 30 minutes to get to him and about an hour until he was airlifted to a local hospital. But it... Has a happy ending. Yeah, so. it
1: does. And, and, and if not for that three feet of snow, providing a cushion.
2: Oh, that's a good point. I think yeah, that's a great
22: point.
1: It would have been much worse. Thank you, Chloe. Thank you. Appreciate you. the update. And we need to tell you that straight ahead, Sheriff Darren Balam will join us live here. Um, what the Sheriff's Office witnessed when they arrived on the scene. So make sure you stay tuned for that.
2: We also have an update this morning on the Idaho uh, murders. The quadruple murder suspect, Brian Koberger, will be extradited to Moscow, Idaho. He will face charges there. He waived extradition from Pennsylvania yesterday in front of his family. He is accused of uh, fatally stabbing those four University of Idaho students on November 13th. Also, newly released police body camera footage shows that he was stopped twice while driving through Indiana with his father. That was about a month after the murder. So that was on December 15th. Veronica Miracle joins us now live from Moscow. Uh, what can you tell us? I mean, that's a big development, that he was stopped twice. Do we know for what?
15: Yeah. Well, Poppy, both of those stops were apparently uh, really short traffic violations. And he was let off with a warning both times, that first time with a sheriff, as he says in the body camera video, and then by Indiana State Police, where he was following a trailer too closely. And you can hear in the video, you know, they're kind of talking back and forth. They were making that his father, Brian Koberger, and his father were making that cross-country trip from Washington State to Pennsylvania in that white Hyundai Elantra. And authorities there in Indiana later said, saying that there was no flag on the license plate, there was no description outside of a white Hyundai Elantra that police were looking for in the Idaho area, uh, so there was no reason to flag that particular instance. Koberger was in court yesterday. He did waive extradition, as you said, and that means that police have 10 days to get him back here to the state of Idaho. Poppy?
2: Veronica, thank you. Buffalo Bills fans are heartbroken after DeMar Hamlin's shocking on-field collapse. How this city, though, is coming together in a remarkable way after the tragedy.
1: Plus, a rare scene today as President Biden heads to Kentucky to make an appearance with Republican leader Mitch McConnell.
23: He's got such a sport. I mean, he's going to pull through, you know. That's what we're here praying for, you know, and... He's a strong man, so he's doing his job. You know, we just got to do our
1: job and pray for him. Buffalo Bills fans reeling from the latest tragedy that struck their city as safety DeMar Hamlin remains in critical condition after his collapse during Monday night's game. Just one week ago, the Buffalo area was still trying to dig out from a deadly winter storm that's blamed for 41 deaths in Erie County. Miguel Marquez on how the city is coping
24: now. The world-famous Niagara Falls bathed in Bills blue. Signs of support everywhere for Buffalo Bills safety, DeMar Hamlin.
17: I've never cried in a football game, never cried. This is my first time that I've ever cried in a football game.
24: In this town, the Bills, a way of life.
15: When he does recover, I think it will be such an incredible uh, reminder of how resilient the city is. Buffalo is tough. Buffalo is really tough and and will continue to be, even when it hurts.
24: But this is hard.
15: This is hard. This is hard.
24: At the Bills Highmark Stadium. We speak the name of Jesus over DeMar. A prayer group attending some of the Bills' most hardcore fans, the Bills Mafia.
8: God, we speak the name of Jesus over the Bills Mafia and the Buffalo community that is just reeling from another incident that has caused us to fall to our knees and cry out, God, we need you.
24: Helping lead those prayers, Jill Kelly, wife of the beloved former Bills quarterback, Jim Kelly. Family is one word that keeps coming up as I speak yes. to people here yes. about what they, what they felt, the shock of seeing what they yeah. saw. Well, you felt like field. it was
18: your own brother. I mean, especially coming from a football family, coming from the Bills family, um, we were broken, and Jim was a wreck, and it is it is family, and Demar's family to us. Wide open to midfield and lowers the shoulder.
24: A shocking injury on the field, piled on top of a rough year for the Queen City. Last May, 10 black shoppers killed at a top supermarket by a self-described white supremacist. And just last month, at least 42 people killed in and around Buffalo in a storm unlike anything this city that knows snow has ever seen.
2: The year we've had here, you know, it's just been one thing after another after another. We've really proven ourselves to each other, regardless of what community I'm from. If something happens to you, I'm going to show up. And that's how we feel about our team, too. They show up when things happen in the city. We're, we are a family.
24: At Danny South, next to the Bill Stadium, Darlene tech a server bartender here for eight years. How long you she says watching Hamlin collapse was personal. How hard was it to see what happened there?
25: Very hard, very hard, very heartbreaking. Being a Bills fan, as long as I have been, the Bills aren't just a team here in Buffalo. Everybody here that considers them absolute family.
24: That is the one thing you hear from person after person, Bills fan after Bills fan, family. They feel that they are family. And look, the team has stepped up for the city through all the hard times of the last year. And the fans are now stepping up for DeMar Hamlin and any of the Bills uh, that need help right now. Yeah. Don. Miguel in
1: Buffalo. Miguel, thank you so much. Appreciate that. Up next, a CNN exclusive, how U.S. and Western technology ended up in Iranian-made drones being used to attack Ukraine.
2: And California is bracing for a series of powerful and potentially deadly storms to start off the new year. We'll take you there.
24: Only two days have passed since the beginning of the year, and the number of Iranian drones shot down over Ukraine is already more than 80. This number may increase in the near future. We have information that Russia is planning a prolonged attack with Shaheds.
2: That is uh, Ukraine's President Zelensky talking about how they are bracing for stepped-up attacks by Russia using Iranian-made drones, but some of what's inside of those drones... Actually, a lot of it is American-made. This is according to an intelligence assessment obtained exclusively by our colleague Natasha Bertrand. She joins us. Now, you've been on top of this reporting uh, really since they found that drone that was downed. What are the latest developments?
26: Yeah, Poppy. So the Ukrainian intelligence assessment that we obtained found that actually of the 52 components that they removed from this downed Iranian Shahid drone last year – 40 of them were actually made by American companies, American manufacturers. Now, this is a really stark number, right, because so many of these parts that the Iranians are using to make the drones that are then attacking uh, Ukraine via Russia are actually being made in the U.S. and the West. And, of course, this is not a strictly American problem. We also found that the remaining components, those remaining 12 components that the uh, Ukrainians examined, were made by companies in Canada, Taiwan, China, and Switzerland. So it's really a global issue. Issue here. And it's one that the Ukrainians are really trying to get the Biden administration to address. And they actually shared this intelligence assessment with the U.S. late last year to try to say, we need to do more about this to try to confront this problem, because as Zelensky said there, this is not going to go away anytime soon. The Russians are using these drones relentlessly against Ukraine, Poppy, Okay.
2: Natasha Bertrand, thank you very much for that reporting. Keep us posted. Well, hours from now, the House reconvenes. Can Kevin McCarthy wrangle Republicans enough that he needs to become Speaker? More CNN This Morning to come after the break.
4: I think at the end of the day, we'll get everybody
18: well, there's this no, there's point, any- if you fail three times, how do you possibly pull this off?
4: You get to 218.
18: Mr.
4: How do you do it? You come back, you continue what you're doing right now, talking, and you solve the small problems.
1: What do they say if you do the same thing over and <laughs> over and insanity? An
24: expected...
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's this the definition of insanity. This is
1: the definition, Kevin McCarthy of insanity. It was supposed to be Kevin McCarthy's big moment. So what the heck happened? Good morning, America. Good to see you. Poppy and I are here in New York. Caitlin live in Washington, DC. Hi, Caitlin. Doing okay?
3: Hi. are you up of, there? We're kind of bracing. It's like this, like, you know, worst episode of the West Wing ever that we're playing out right now. We'll see what happens today. Yeah.
1: A chaotic day on the Hill. No speaker was elected. Some in the Republican Party turned against their leader. Ahead, Caitlin Collins is going to speak with a member who switched his vote after first saying yes. Plus, we have the Buffalo Bills Safety Uh, DeMar Hamlin news. He is still in critical condition at this hour. We're going to speak with former football player Harry Carson on the the dangers of the sport and what this means for the league moving forward.
2: Also, you are going to see a rare scene unfold in just a few hours in Kentucky. President Biden and Senate Republican Leader Mitch McConnell will appear together to promote a major bipartisan accomplishment. But we start this
3: hour with the historic stalemate that is playing out here in the U.S. House of Representatives. As of 7 a.m., none of the new members have officially been sworn in. There are no committees or new committee chairs that have been put in place. And technically, there are no rules also in place for the House. Twenty Republicans at our last count had defected from Kevin McCarthy, not voting for him. And this GOP revolt is putting his pursuit of the speakership for a second time in serious jeopardy. We expect that the votes could potentially continue today at noon, we'll find out in a moment when we speak to the Republican member. But this Republican leadership drama has really paralyzed the entire House chamber. Nothing on this level has occurred in more than a century. So yes, it is historic, and we still don't know how it all ends. CNN's Lauren Fox joins us now. Lauren, you know, yesterday they had these three votes, they went on for hours, and then they kind of quickly moved to adjourn after we had heard Kevin McCarthy was not, did not want them, he wanted them to keep voting. Uh, What happened in the hours after that? Well, these hours are really key, right? Because the day
5: starts with this fiery conference meeting with Kevin McCarthy going in saying, I deserve this job. Look at what I've done for you. Look how hard I've worked for us. That didn't win any votes. And we saw those three subsequent votes where he fails to get the job done. So then he goes back to his office. He tries to reach out to some of these folks. We also know that his deputies are trying to work votes because even if you don't have a good relationship with someone, perhaps someone that you're close to, someone on your leadership team, might be able to reach out and change minds. Meanwhile, conservatives were also whipping their own votes, according to one of our colleagues, Melanie Zanona, that they believe that they are still trying to win over, trying to grow their conservative majority. Meanwhile, Kevin McCarthy still pretty upbeat. Here's what he told our colleagues.
7: Do you think that the Freedom Caucus members underestimate the fact that if they put another member up, that they would not be able to get as many votes as you're
4: able to get? Well, I'm a very big fan of Jim Jordan. I'm the one that pulled him out to helping to be uh, conference chair. I think he uh, helping to be committee chair. Um, that's the person they're most behind. We've got 10 times as many votes, but from the standpoint is we've got to find a way that we all work together. So I don't know who else could actually put that together.
0: Are there any circumstances under which you would consider pulling out of no. the race for speaker? There's no. is not one. There's not one.
5: And the thing to watch today, Caitlin, is going to be whether or not conservatives can grow the number of votes that they have against Kevin McCarthy. That is going to be the key telling moment here,
3: whether or not that number starts to increase or whether we're at a stalemate. Yeah, it did not go the direction Kevin McCarthy wanted it to go. Instead, he's got more members to try to change their minds. Lauren Fox, I know you'll stay on top of it, so thank you so much. You know, One of the Republicans who did switch his vote yesterday from McCarthy to Ohio Congressman Jim Jordan in the third round. Donald's Jordan. Jordan. That vote surprising some in the chamber, the Republican congressman there who was voting. That was Byron Donalds of Florida, who had voted for McCarthy on the first two ballots, then he switched to Jim Jordan on the third, and he is joining us now here this morning. Good morning. morning. Good morning. Uh, I imagine you had a late night last night. Uh, what is on the agenda for today? Are you going to actually vote again today when the House convenes at noon?
6: Uh, I think we should vote to today again. Uh, right now, I think obviously we're going to go through conversations and negotiations, to try to f- see if there is a pathway for Kevin to still get to 218. Now, look. I think what we need to do is have those serious conversations. What we should not have done, and I'm glad we stopped, was have a voter on the floor. I didn't think that was in the best interest of the Republican <laughs> conference, and frankly, for the House overall. Uh, so there were conversations last night by some members. There'll be conversations today to see if their pathway still exists. I, th- I think the key thing for everybody to understand is you can get into the semantics about rules and committee assignments. But what this is about is having a deliberative conversation about what leadership is going to be like in the nation's capital, in the House of Representatives. For far too long in this town, too many things have been by acclamation. And that's actually not worked for the American people. So we need to be fighting for you know budgetary restraints reforms, securing our border, all the things that the American people want to see. But that, the root of that starts in how you actually set up leadership and rules in the House. And having a deliberative process over that is actually a good thing for the Republic.
3: Yeah, we know there's no rules yet because there's no House Speaker. If you vote today, are you voting for McCarthy or for someone else?
6: Now that remains to be seen. I mean, a lot of this is going to be determined over the next couple of hours. Look, I, what Wait, I want to so see— But you could potentially
3: switch your vote back to Kevin McCarthy?
6: Uh, what I'm going to do right now is vote for who I think is in the best interest of the conference. My vote yesterday was basically to break a deadlock because we were deadlocked and we were not getting anywhere. Right now, he doesn't have a pathway to get there. Is that reemerges, Yeah, I can be there. That's fine. But what is necessary now is that Republicans come together and find a way to elect a speaker. We're going to do that.
3: Okay, so you're saying you would vote for McCarthy again if it looked like he had a path forward. Do you think he has a strategy right now?
6: I'm nah, Not clear about that at this time.
3: Was any ground made last night in the negotiations that happened after you adjourned?
6: Uh, it's Very little. But I think what you're going to see this morning, or maybe what you won't see this morning, is there's going to be probably more conversations around that, and then we'll see how we get there.
3: Do you think we're at a point yet where McCarthy should withdraw his name from the race?
6: Uh, that's really a question for Kevin. I can't make that, that, that kind of decision for him. I don't think so, uh, to be frank with you. I think that there's still uh, some ways to go here. I mean, look, it's day two Um, Obviously, nobody's seen this in a hundred years, but we're going to go through this process. We're going to get the job done and then we're going to be focused on the things that uh, American voters sent us here to do.
3: Did McCarthy reach out to you after you switched your vote to Jim Jordan?
6: I've not talked to him yet.
3: Okay. The question, of course, if it's not Kevin McCarthy, who could it be? Is there a viable alternative that's being di- discussed behind the scenes?
6: Uh, I'm not going to do reveal names. There are members who are talking about um, different alternatives. People who might be able to find a pathway to get to 218, and then from there, you know, we'll have those discussions between members one-on-one, between groups of members, caucuses, and, and see how that shakes out.
3: Without revealing names, would it be someone who is inside the House of Representatives or outside?
6: I don't think there's going to be anybody from outside the House.
3: Are you still seeing attempts behind the scenes to grow the numbers who are voting against Kevin McCarthy? Clearly, you were the only one who changed your vote yesterday. Do you expect more Republicans could change their votes
25: today?
6: Uh, it's very possible. And I think that um, there are members who are having, you know, very, they're having concerns right now. Um, there are obviously people back home are weighing in on what they feel, uh, who they feel should be the next Speaker of the House. Um, so it's possible, like right now, that's open to interpretation. But I think the key thing is, going back to, you know, Leader McCarthy, is there a pathway for him to get there? Yes. Can that be worked out over the next couple of hours? Yes. Is it likely? Uh, not sure yet.
3: Okay. Uh, Don Bacon of Nebraska said yesterday, referring to the 19, now 20, who are voting against Kevin McCarthy, referring to them as the Taliban 19. What's your response to that?
6: I think it's outrageous. And I like Don Bacon, but that kind of language is ridiculous. We're going through a legislative process, actually a democratic process, where votes have to be earned, not just given. And so for that kind of language to be used, I think is reprehensible. And I like Don Bacon. But what we, gotta be, what we have to do is be careful doing stuff like that. Um, this is a negotiation, like any negotiation. And so to refer to people on the other side of a negotiation as to be essentially aligned with some of the worst terrorists the world has ever seen, I think is outrageous.
3: My last question for you. You talked about the importance of getting through this vote so you can actually get legislation passed, start to do things like that. What does yesterday say about what it looks like when Republicans are in charge?
6: It means that we actually take this stuff seriously. We're not just going to be rolled because party leadership says so. It means there is going to be a deliberative process. It means there's going to be a lot of discussion. Um, That's what the House of Representatives is. Um, For far too long in this town, everything has just been go along to get along. And I think those days are long over in Washington, D.C.,
3: Well, some would say it looks like chaos.
6: Oh, chaos is okay sometimes. Listen, there's nothing wrong with disagreements. Nothing wrong with disagreement. We are, in our families at home, we have disagreements. So we're not gonna have disagreements here in the nation's capital. I think, you know, the the veneer, the show of politics has sometimes gotten people off of what this thing really is. There's always give and take here. There's always (sighs) negotiations. There seems to always be some cliff or some leverage points happening here. So because there's disagreements right now does not mean that the place doesn't function. As a matter of fact, I think that the fact that there are disagreements and still conversations show that it can still function and work as it was intended to work.
3: OK, we'll see if they get to a breakthrough today. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll wait to see how you vote today since you said you could switch your vote back. Thank you for joining us. Anytime. Yeah. Don Poppy, you heard that. Fascinating there. He was the only person yesterday who switched his vote from Kevin McCarthy to Jim <laughs> Jordan. Now he says maybe if there is a viable path for McCarthy, he could switch back. But we'll see who gets nominated today if they do vote.
1: Listen, I, I, was, he gave it the old college try, but it was embarrassing. I mean, it's embarrassing. And you can see that Kevin McCarthy is embarrassed. You can see it on his face. He's trying to save face. But he's sitting there, and over and over and over, he's being told, no, we don't want you. We don't want
2: you. I don't know. Uh, we'll get back to Caitlin yeah. in a moment. If, there are, um, if they are closer to making a decision.
1: Well, listen. As I said, he gave it the whole college try. This is a, hasn't happened in a century, 13 times in history, 12 of them before the Civil War, yeah, of course you have disagreements. But by the time you get to this point, you've got to get your, you know what, you're together.
2: they got and till so, noon.
1: And they've got till, so, five so, yeah. Good luck.
2: Um, well, Good this, luck this morning, new details on Buffalo Bill's safety. Damar Hamlin, who remains sedated after suffering cardiac arrest on the field <clears throat> during Monday night's game against the Cincinnati Bengals. He had just made a tackle. Hamlin's uncle described to CNN his nephew's condition right now. Listen to this.
11: Well, his heart had went out, so um, they had to resuscitate him twice. They resuscitated him on the field before they brought him to the hospital, and then they resuscitated him a second time when he got to the hospital. So um, I just want to show my gratitude for the medical uh, staff that were on hand because if not for them, my nephew probably wouldn't even be here. We were all in tears, man, and, and I'm not a crier, but like I, I never cried so hard in my life, man, just, just to know like, like my nephew basically died on the field, and they brought him back to life.
2: I should note that that's it. DeMar's uncle also said that DeMar seems to be, quote, trending upward. That's good. That's a little bit of good news. Uh, let's bring in Buffalo Bills beat reporter for the Buffalo News. Jay Skirsky uh, followed the game, of course, Monday night. And following that game, he tweeted, I'm trying to process what I watched tonight. The image of a world class 24 year old athlete getting CPR on the football field is burned into my brain. So good morning to you. And Jay, thanks for being with us Uh Two-fold question here. Any other updates on his condition that you can report and any scent of when we'll hear directly from the bills?
21: Yes. Good morning. Uh, no, that is the only official updates that we've had from the team yesterday is that he remains in intensive care in the critical or excuse me, in critical condition in the intensive care unit at the University of Cincinnati, Cincinnati Medical Center. Today is an interesting day for the Bills. We heard yesterday from the NFL that their week week 18 schedule is going on as planned. So the Bills are are scheduled to play at home on Sunday against the New England Patriots. In a typical week with a Sunday game, practice usually begins on Wednesday. So uh, we have not heard any sort of schedule from the Bills regarding practice, but... Uh, if they stick to their normal schedule, we will hear from Sean McDermott, and we will hear from players yeah. following practice today. Very clearly, there is uh, a lot of interest, and people are eager to hear from them.
2: I mean, you said this is going to be the biggest challenge of Sean McDermott's career, the coach. What he, you know, what he says, how he handles it.
21: Hey, just um, no question. I, I, quite frankly, I have no idea how Sean McDermott is going to have his team ready to play a game in just a few days. After what his teammates witnessed, yep. you saw the anguish, the emotion on their face on the field on Monday night. This this by far is Sean McDermott's biggest challenge in his coaching career. Hey, Jay, I got a lot
1: going on here. I'm trying to you know uh, study up on a bunch of different things. Did you give a condition update? Did you do you have any? Uh,
21: yes. Again, just the, the last official update is that he remains in critical care in, uh excuse me, in critical condition in the intensive care unit at the University of Cincinnati uh, Medical Center. OK.
1: All right. Jay Skursky, thank you very much. We appreciate that. I want to bring in now pro football Hall of Famer and former linebacker for New York Giants, Harry Carson. He's been outspoken on the dangers of football and contact sports with a specific focus on brain injuries like CTE. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure. How are you doing?
27: I'm doing well. Yeah. I'm doing well. And uh, like everybody else in this country and around the world, I'm sending out prayers to this young man. Um, You you don't go into a Monday night game. I mean, you go into the game hyped and ready to play. You don't go there to be carried off on a stretcher. Uh, So... It's, it's been very interesting watching this whole thing play out.
1: Uh, as, a, as a former player, would you can you tell us what the, the team is going through? Because now they have to make a decision. They may have to make a decision to get back on the field and, and play or what have you. But at, at some point, they're going to have to get back on the field and play, you know, if not the team that they were playing against, right?
27: Don, I really so what, can't tell you what the team is going through right now because – I was on a team where uh, we played Washington, Joe Theismann broke his leg, or Lawrence Taylor broke Joe Theismann's leg. That's one thing. And, you know, everybody sort of banded together, Washington players, Giant players, and we worked together to keep Joe from going into shock. But this situation is one that has not been confronted, in any way, because you don't go into a game expecting a player to uh, uh, go into cardiac arrest off of a, a, a tackle. Mm. You know, everybody who is on that field, they're praying for one another. They may not like each other. and I mean, you, you, you do certain things to sort of get yourself ready to play. But when you come together, you see everybody is, when the game is over, they're patting each other on the rear end. They're exchanging jerseys. Nobody wants the opposition to get hurt. And we pray for one another before we leave the locker room and when we return to the locker room, we, we pray that there won't be any serious injuries and so forth. So this is something that is definitely out of the box. Do you, you, think, do you think it's too
1: dangerous? Because you said even as a Hall of Famer, you, you insisted your grandson shouldn't play football. Mm-hmm. I have a great nephew who is, you know, football, he's a, it was when he was a freshman, he was playing varsity, right? Mm-hmm. Love to watch it, but I, I worry about him. I'm, I was just reading the Washington Post as we were talking to Jay there, whereas I was saying, did you give an update? Mm-hmm. It says, Damar Hamlin's cardiac arrest is a wake-up call to youth sports. Do you think it's too dangerous?
27: Well, football is dangerous. I mean, you have to understand that even before you step on the field, there's a possibility that you're going to be carried off the field, whether it's a knee, ankle, shoulder, back, or whatever. But you don't go in there thinking that you're going to sustain brain trauma because with the hits that you give and receive, uh, that might work its way into CTE or some kind of, of um, uh, con- concussion-related symptoms down the road.
1: But what do you mean by that when you say that? It, do you, are you saying it, it shouldn't be played? Are you saying that there need to be better safety precautions, better equipment? Like, What, what are you saying?
27: I'm saying that the game is a violent game. Mm-hmm. And you know that you can get hurt physically, but nobody tells you that you could get hurt from a neurological standpoint. Your brain can be changed in ways that may never... Be, it's, you, you find out down the road mm-hmm. what damage you may have done. When I first stepped on the football field in the ninth grade, I sustained a concussion, and I knew I shouldn't be there, and I quit, okay? The next year, I went back because I didn't like that, that taste of quitting in my gut, just to see if I could make it. And as it turned out, I wound up being a pretty good player. But I will always remember those hits that I gave and, and I received on the football field. And I know football is not for everybody. And I enjoyed playing but I enjoyed the relationships that I form, formed more than anything else. You know, I was, I was never really built to be a football player because I don't have that kind of violence in me to want to go out and just smack people around.
1: If you were... I know it's not your decision, it's his. But if you were just, say, DeMar's relative, dad, what would you advise him? Would you advise him to play after this? If
27: he'd asked me, should my son... Uh, play, I'd say, well, you know, whatever you want him to do, that's, that's fine. And if he asked me, no, give me the truth, should he play? And I, I would say no. He shouldn't go back. He sh- should not go back because you, you already sustained an injury. Um, at some point down the line, you may sustain another injury, and you might become an altogether different person than, than you are now. So...
1: Harry, honesty.
27: I don't, I, I really don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but I've been saying this for a long time. And um, what America saw on Monday night affects not necessarily the fathers of young kids who want to play. It's the mothers who saw it. And they don't want their kids to go into something like this. You know, they, you, you might hurt your ankle might sprain your ankle or knee or whatever. But to get this, you know, mothers don't want their kids to um, be hurt in any way. And so that's why I became like the um, tyrant of my family because I knew certain things that were not being said. And I told my daughter, my, my grandson will not play football. He was two years old. And I know it may have been, very difficult for her husband to accept. And I said, no, I am the tyrant of this family. I will be. I'm willing to be the tyrant. I don't want him playing you football. think we need to- I don't want him playing contact sports.
2: What is that?
27: This is a pen, but this is also uh, a little notepad that I keep with me, and I jot down little notes. And
2: it and says, stop. I ask because you, you as I understand it, stopped and didn't carry out tackles Mm
6: -hmm.
2: that you knew could hurt someone, ruin their career, or worse?
27: When you're on the football field and you're playing defense, there's ample opportunity to inflict a lot of damage because when you wrap a player up and you have another secondary player coming in, and let's say that second, second player coming in is me, then I could deliver a blow in such a way that you know, that guy who's carrying the ball will feel it. Mm -hmm. And so I became known as one of the hardest-hitting football players in the league at that time. I remember O.J. Simpson came up behind me uh, after a game his last year, and he said, hey, Carson, I've been hit by some of the best. I've never been hit as hard as you hit me today. And I took that as as kind of like a a, a badge of honor, Mm. you, you know, But not realizing that even though I was hitting him, I was also sustaining head trauma. And people always talk about helmets and making the game safer. There's but so much you can do to make the game safer. And always remember this. Helmets do not protect the brain. Helmets protect the skull. There is no way that you can protect the brain from that kind of hits that you see on on the football field. It, it, it's just not. We right.
1: had Bobani Jones on from uh, ESPN yesterday yeah. and from HBO. And he said that, you know, trying to make the game safer is like trying to make a safe cigarette. You just yeah. can't do
27: it. You, you, you can't do it.
1: Harry, we appreciate it. Oh, my You're pleasure. Grateful. Thank you so much. All right.
2: Thanks very much. So um, moving to politics, a rare joint appearance today by President Biden and Senate Republican Leader Mitch McConnell in McConnell's home state of Kentucky. We'll tell you why.
1: Plus more on the speaker drama and what the Republicans voting against Kevin McCarthy all have in common. More CNN this morning to come after the break. Back, everyone. Tuesday, CNN in this morning, we are getting new details about the efforts to save Damar Hamlin's life. As teammates and the league give emotional tributes, plus the West Coast is bracing for what's expected to be a brutal and deadly storm. We're live in San Francisco, and straight ahead, the former Capitol Police chief is giving us an inside look at the lead up to the Capitol attack, the response, and the aftermath. Caitlin.
3: Also, today, a rare scene is set to unfold in Kentucky. You might have to blink twice. President Biden is going to be appearing alongside the Senate Republican leader, Mitch McConnell, to celebrate a major bipartisan accomplishment. They're going to be at McConnell's home state of Kentucky on the Kentucky side of the famous Brent Spence Bridge that connects Kentucky with Ohio. It has been a focus point for many presidents. They're going to tout how funds from the bipartisan infrastructure law are going to be used for the much needed repairs to that congested crossing. Of course, Biden and McConnell served together in the Senate for decades. They were occasionally negotiating partners when Obama was in office, but it is a very symbolic moment today. CNN's MJ Lee is live at the White House. MJ, you know, this bridge has this long political history. We've seen Trump there, we've seen Obama there, now Biden is going to be there today. With McConnell, but Rito, you know, as this fight is playing out on Capitol Hill and between House Republicans, it's also significant to show just how differently McConnell is handling things.
10: Yeah, you know, Caitlin, this is a bridge that President Biden himself once promised to fix. It connects uh, Cincinnati, Ohio and Covington, Kentucky, which is where he is going uh, this afternoon. And it is one of the busiest freight routes in the country. And that officials say carries double the traffic that it is meant to support. Uh, And it has become this symbol, as you mentioned, and so politically significant of the nation's crumbling infrastructure. Past presidents and congressional leaders had promised to fix it and haven't been able to get it done. And what President Biden today is able to announce is that $2 billion from the infrastructure law that he signed back in 2021 will go towards upgrading this bridge and other significant bridges, including the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. And you're right that uh, a part of this event that is going to be so significant is someone like Mitch McConnell appearing besides uh, the president. You know, there's sort of the literal bridge and then obviously the metaphorical bridge, you know, of the president sort of wandering. Wanting to send this message that even in the new Congress and even with Republicans taking over the House, that he's sort of willing to reach across the aisle and bridge the divide and continue working with Republicans. So it's going to be a fascinating scene. Yeah, it absolutely will. MJ Lee, thank you.
1: Well, back now to McCarthy's moment that that was supposed to happen, but it didn't. It hasn't happened so far. The Republican leader failed to win enough votes to become House Speaker. What's going to happen today when Congress reconvenes and how long will the power struggle last? Those are the questions. Is he going to be speaker? What's happening? CNN political commentator Elizabeth Aaron Griffin, who served as communications director for the House Freedom Caucus, she's with us, as well as CNN senior political analyst and anchor John Avalon. Good morning to both Good morning, of you. Guys. Thank You're you so much. Time. Grow up. <laughs> I mean, this is the Washington uh, Post telling Republicans. That is not the, New
2: York the Washington Post. York. I I mean, that is not the, the Washington
3: Post, Post. The New York
1: Post telling that grow up, grow up. I mean, and it, it's the cover, obviously, of every paper. Um, the New York Times, of course, and then Kevin McCarthy, the Washington Post, as I'm reading here. It's embarrassing. (laughs) This is embarrassing.
20: It is, and I'm shocked Kevin McCarthy allowed it to go to the floor and lose by this number. Usually you do this behind the scenes, you know, in a House conference meeting. I was expecting him to go down, but not by the margin he did of 19 votes. But counterpoint to this New York Post cover... There's, there takes two to tango. The right is being intractable, but so is the only Kevin caucus. I would be asking myself right now, how long can they sustain that position? The hostage takers, as they were, they're not coming around unless he makes more concessions, and he's given them a lot. I mean, things that will damage the institution, like lowering the threshold for the motion to vacate. I will be curious to see. So, on another network, a cable news host who is very close with the Freedom Caucus laid out what demands could look like. And two things he mentioned is standing up a select committee to investigate the Department of Justice for. Whatever reason you would de- investigate the Department of Justice. And then the other was to release the full, unredacted January 6th transcripts, which would expose witnesses, you know, private citizens who helped that investigation. So if I'm an only Kevin moderate Republican, I'd ask what damage to the institution in the country am I willing to do to get Kevin McCarthy over a Scalise or an Elise Stefanik or whoever it could be?
1: That's, I'm glad you're asking that question. <laughs> because some would say why I had that question should have been asked a long time ago.
7: Well, they should have been doing a better job counting the votes. And you could see that he already had more than four folks who were going to vote against him going into this. But look, first of all, there's nothing normal about what we're seeing. This has happened once since the Civil War. So this isn't a normal negotiation for the speakership. Um, this is a, a a demonstration once again that Gollum always turns on its creator, that these extremists <laughs> on the far right are going to attack anything resembling responsible governance or majority rule. In this case, for all the appeasing that Kevin McCarthy tried to do and good-faith negotiation, hasn't re- resulted in goodwill. Friday is the anniversary of January 6th. And not for nothing, but a lot of these folks are the people who were working with the Trump White House to try to overturn the last election. Scott Perry, right? Uh, you know, <laughs> on oh, and a rough north. too. End. Yeah.
2: Over and well, over. all but two are election deniers.
7: Th- th- yeah. no, that's right. So this is an election denier fight, and it's really an indication of the fact that the parties are deeply split. We probably have four parties in this country, not two. This is going to do nothing to help Republicans win back the independent voters who voted against them in the last election, while it's such a narrow margin. And even though Washington is where good ideas go to die, you'd like to see this be a place where there could be a bipartisan option. Fred Upton floating some ideas where he could get Democratic support. This has happened in Alaska in recent weeks. Yesterday, their version of this happened in the Pennsylvania state. Legislature. So, you know, maybe we could finally break this fever, but of course, I'm not going to hold out too much hope for that because the culture in Washington is too opposite anything resembling reasonable.
20: And the problem that McCarthy faces, is, I worked for many of these guys, although that caucus has only gotten more extreme over the years, they're not serious legislators. So you can't Mm -hmm. go and say, I'll take this bill up of yours on the floor, or I'll put you on Mm -hmm. the Ways and Means Mm -hmm. Committee if you're with me. They just want to burn the place down. And they want to extract a scalp. I don't see them bending at any point on McCarthy. But McCarthy's also set up whoever the future speaker may be for failure because Mm -hmm. they are going to have to adopt that rules package that allows a vote of no confidence with only five members anytime they want the speaker's head.
1: I I feel like, do do you remember the SNL skit after Trump got elected? where Chappelle and Chris Rock are at the party and everybody's running around going, oh, my gosh. And they're like, wait, didn't you see this coming?
20: <laughs> yeah. Did
1: you guys not? I was sitting at home watching this going, OK, I'm, I'm not shocked. This is what you
20: get. You said it a couple months ago. Yeah. We not seemed to listen. Yeah, I mean, you
1: know, you could see this train coming down the
7: tracks. And not only that, this is what took out John Boehner. A decade ago, this is what caused Paul
1: Ryan to resign. Is it, is it you know, speaking of, as you say this, back. can we put up this picture of the young guns? Remember this? Oh, book? yeah, oh, you're all, go old look school. at the young guns. Oh, oh Paul right, Ryder, young Ed young Ed Hansard, Kevin McCarthy, Kevin was so young then, so much hope. <laughs> <laughs> go on, sorry, John. Wow, I can't believe you. <laughs> That was 20. That, 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 that was 2010. Up. What a difference a decade makes.
7: Or, or, or not right. The, the problems were relatively small then, but still enough to topple a speaker and stop Boehner from being they able did to did the same his thing. Yes, but, yes. But that's, yes.
20: That's the point but that is, he did not learn the lesson. John Boehner ruled a bit with fear. Sometimes it's better to be feared than loved. He would retaliate against members when they voted against him on the floor. They'd remove him from committee assignments, and they ultimately came for him. Paul Ryan tried to bring the right flank into the fold. It didn't work very well for him. Kevin McCarthy's made every Every concession under the sun. I think today he should be thinking about the time he went down to Mar-a-Lago after January 6th saying <laughs> he was done with President Trump to get these guys on board and to get Trump's endorsement. He made his bed. This is a disaster of Kevin McCarthy's so own where making. where's Eric Cantor now? <laughs> where's, um, where's, I'm sure he's, lobbying,
7: he's lobbying. Paul somewhere. lobbying somewhere. Paul, <laughs> Paul, Paul Ryan is, is, is retired and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, but he who would always, you know, complain about the conservative media industrial complex. You know, these are all vestiges of that problem they were dealing with as well. And here's the other thing. You know, Alyssa said it's better to be feared than loved. I, I, you know, I think they're both dynamics it's of leadership. a little
2: Machiavelli for you.
7: But, yeah. Little, little 7.36 Ma-
2: in the morning. <laughs> I'm too much of a Frank Capra
7: kind of cat for that. But here, here's the real deal. Kevin McCarthy isn't loved, right? I, you know, I was talking to folks up on uh. the Hill yesterday, and they were saying, look at all the members, you know, who were coming up to Kevin McCarthy in between the votes. Oh, wait, there weren't any. Yeah. Right. Right? So so this is also an issue, the fact that Kevin McCarthy's tried to dole out all the money, He's tried to appease every person he can say. And you've heard me say this before. But Winston Churchill said appeasement is like feeding a crocodile, hoping it eats you last. And that's what's happening right now.
20: By the way, if I could just mention this position that we could just let this go to 10 ballots or 100 ballots and go on for months is untenable. We can't just not swear in a House of Representatives. Yesterday was the anniversary of the Soleimani strike. I was at the Department of Defense when that took place. Hmm. DOD was on the phone with House leadership in real time as that was happening. The world goes on. If there's a national security crisis, a natural disaster, we don't have a Speaker of the House. We don't have a leader. It's obviously Hakeem Jeffries, but um, this this is untenable. We've got to swear in a new Congress.
1: Yeah, you can't, there's a lot of things that you cannot get done without no Speaker. Well, don't
20: get paid. A lot
1: doesn't get, yeah.
3: That's what's going to motivate them. Yeah. So <laughs> it's
1: the worst part. that's what'll
7: finally break the deadlock.
3: Yeah. yeah. Okay. Great job, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Thanks, guys.
1: <laughs> Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Right. So, U.S. Men's Soccer investigating a domestic violence allegation against the team's head coach. How he's responding? That's next.
2: We are also getting an update this morning, uh, a positive update on Jeremy Renner's condition, from Jeremy himself. What also the sheriff's office is saying this morning. <laughs>
1: So this morning, U.S. men's soccer hiring a legal team to investigate a domestic violence allegation against head coach Greg Berhalter. Uh, it surrounds a 1991 altercation where Berhalter kicked his then girlfriend, who is now his wife. CNN's Bryn Grass joins us now with the details on this. Good morning to you. Good morning. What what are they saying happened?
25: Yeah, you know, that's the big question. Why now? What happened? So Berhalter says that this is all coming to light because someone is trying to take him down. He's in contract negotiations with U.S. Soccer at the moment right now. Uh, It goes back to an incident back in 1991, and Berhalter and his now wife, they came out in front of this. They released a statement, very lengthy statements, co-signed and basically explained what happened, uh, saying a third party contacted U.S. Soccer during the World Cup. most recent World Cup, of course. Uh, And he goes into detail about that night when he was 18 years old. He said he and his then-girlfriend were drunk they got into a fight and it got physical and he kicked her. And he goes on and says, there are zero excuses for my actions that night. It was a shameful moment and one that I regret to this day. At that time, I immediately apologized to Rosalind, but understandably, she wanted nothing to do with me. Now, he said they (laughs) got counseling. He's grown from this. The two have been married now for 20 years. 25 years. They went on to have a family and so on and so forth. Now, U.S., the interesting part here is U.S. soccer is saying that they have hired uh, outside law firm to conduct an investigation. But this isn't the only allegation that's been to light. They actually said that there's other potential inappropriate behavior toward multiple members of the staff and organization that they're looking into. So there's a lot going on here that they're trying to uncover. Once they uncover it, they said they're going to release it to us. Of course, we'll get more answers. Uh,
3: It
1: is interesting. They go back to 1991. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Thank you, Brendan. Appreciate it. Uh, Caitlin in Washington.
3: Yeah, a lot going on here, Don, especially here right on Capitol Hill. Also on Friday, you know, we've got the two year anniversary of the insurrection. And so this morning we have the former Capitol Police Chief, who is revealing who he blames for the attack in his new book. He'll join us live to talk about it next. This Friday here in Washington, lawmakers, staffers, law enforcement, the White House will remember the day two years ago when the insurrectionist grew violent, breached the Capitol, attacked law enforcement, threatened lawmakers, and changed the country's history forever. Now in a new book, we are getting a comprehensive view of what happened behind the scenes and in the days leading up to it, from the man who was leading the Capitol Police that day, former U.S. Capitol Police Chief Stephen Sun, joining us now to discuss his new book, Courage Under Fire, which is now out. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. I know it it was personal for you to write this book, you said.
28: It was, it was personal for me to write the book um, after I'd taken steps to, to get the truth out before it. I wasn't planning on writing a book, but then once I started talking to other officers and, and other people that were out there that day it just started growing and more information started coming in. I was talking to military um, leaders, and it just started getting bigger and bigger. So when you talk about it being personal, it's personal for me, but it's personal for every person that was out there.
3: One of the takeaways from it is you say that essentially there were these alerts about what could happen, but you say that they were not properly assessed or informed to to those who needed to know about them.
28: That that is correct. When you look at what intelligence is out there now, there was specific intelligence about groups planning attacks on the Capitol, forming uh, uh, groups to to come down, uh, preparing secure communications. And the information that we were getting was a much watered down down version of that, that it may come armed, may pose a um, a violent uh, uh, instances of violence for law enforcement. But nothing indicating that you have a planned coordinated attack coming with significant uh, planning going into it by groups.
3: Well, I guess one question about that would be about this intelligence bulletin that came on January 3rd warning that Congress being a target for violence by angry Trump protesters. Did you see that bulletin? And why was that not enough to, to give a warning about what was to come? So
28: you, you need to look at it. With the bulletin that came out, it was a the fourth of a, a final bulletins from IICD, which is my intelligence division. Uh, it came out. It didn't indicate... Tar- uh, uh, Congress would be the target of violence. They said Congress is their target, is the target. Anybody that comes up to protest on Capitol Hill, Congress is their target. That's why they're coming up here to protest, to, to sway tar- uh Congress. So the information that was there didn't specifically say we're looking or, or indicate that we're looking at a coordinated attack. There could be instances of violence. We expected that. There could be uh, people coming armed. We had that in the first two MAGA rallies. Uh, and you could have white supremacists there. They had shown up before. So we were prepared for that. But you also got to consider the very next day on the 4th, IICD put out another document that said low probability of arrest or civil disobedience. Same came out on the 5th, same came out on the 6th. And I I received recommendations that I sign off on all the permits for the people the following day as well as the 4th. They recommended I sign most of of the permits.
3: You mentioned January 4th. That was the day you felt that you needed to call for the National Guard. But two days later on January 6th, you had about 1,200 members present. That seems like less than what it typically would be, is that correct? And why were there not more people there?
28: So to correct the um, timeline, it was January 3rd, it was the morning of January 3rd that I asked for for the National Guard, before the intelligence came out. Uh, And it was specifically because I felt our perimeter was gonna be uh, sparsely populated. I had a joint session of Congress. Most people, uh, most of my officers would be working inside, filling posts, so I had limited number of officers to put on the perimeter, so that's why I went and asked for the National Guard on Sunday. When you talk about the number of people working, we had, um, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but we had a number of people that were out on COVID. Uh, So if you got, you know, we were at the height of COVID. So if you were even um, associated with it, they were put out. So we had a number of people that were out for that. Uh, So that's why we had lower numbers. So
3: that was the disparity between, you know, what you saw on January 3rd and what actually the numbers looked like on January the 6th.
28: Yeah, so when you say what I saw on January 3rd, it when you just felt compelled
3: the, to ask for the National Guard.
28: Yeah, but regardless of the number, I felt compelled to ask for the National Guard because we have a large perimeter around the Capitol. And I just wanted more people, I wanted an unarmed National Guard to be helped standing that perimeter so we could keep some of the rioters or protesters from trying to come over the fence.
3: One of your biggest frustrations in the book is with senior military leaders, where you said you felt like you were essentially begging for help, that you weren't getting it. And you write mm-hmm. that you say that they instead reinforced security at the homes OF THESE SENIOR MILITARY LEADERS.
28: THAT IS that is CORRECT. AND WE FOUND THAT OUT WHILE I WAS DOING THE RESEARCH. SO ON, AS WE WERE, AS I WAS FIGHTING FOR, um, ON JANUARY THIRD, I'M SORRY, JANUARY 6TH WHEN WE GOT ATTACKED AT 1253, I MADE MY FIRST CALL AT 1258 TO THE Sergeant ARMS REQUESTING THE APPROVAL OF THE NATIONAL GUARD. WHEN I GOT THE APPROVAL, FINALLY, 71 MINUTES LATER, I THEN FOUND I HAD TO GO TO THE PENTAGON AND START FIGHTING FOR THE NATIONAL GUARD THERE. Uh, IT TOOK THREE AND A HALF HOURS FOR THEM TO FINALLY SHOW UP But what I found out is that on January 4th, the Secretary of Defense, uh, Christopher Miller, the acting Secretary of Defense, had put out a memo restricting the National Guard from having any of the equipment, riot gear, batons, helmets, any of the equipment, and deploying to the Capitol that my men would have needed on the 6th when it now appears that they knew there was an attack coming. Because General Milley and General um, Miller were talking about uh, the 3rd and 4th about violence coming to Washington, D.C. in internal conference calls yet they put a restriction on the use of the National Guard for my my men and women when we need it on January 6th.
3: Pelosi called for your removal. Was that warranted?
28: No, I don't believe it was. I think on January 6th, I did absolutely everything I possibly could to protect the members of Congress. I brought in 1,700 law enforcement officers from 17 different agencies to protect them, and not a single member of Congress was injured or.
3: And before you go, can you quickly weigh in on Republican plans for security at the Capitol? There were questions yesterday, where they took away some of the magnetometers, they're adding more of the public access points. Do you think that's, what is your, uh, your reaction to that?
28: Yeah, as far as the uh, the magnetometers, I'm just starting to hear about that. The the public access points, this has always been known as the people's house. When we, when we began to shut down because of COVID, we shut down the uh, uh, Congressional Visitor Center, things like that. So reopening some of those, I can see them wanting to do that. The big concern I have is the officers are already way overworked, they're understaffed, and it's just going to be more work for them to, to have to staff that, so that's my big concern with that.
3: Okay. That's a warranted concern. Stephen Sun, the book is Courage Under Fire. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. To talk much. about it this morning. Up next, we are now hearing from former President Trump, who is weighing in on the chaos that happened here on Capitol Hill yesterday, what he thinks should happen and whether or not he's still backing Kevin McCarthy. Ahead, we're also going to hear from DeMar Hamlin's teammate who was there when the Buffalo Bills' safety collapsed and was rushed off the field as he's still in the hospital.
14: To see a brother laying down and everyone else just kind of just, you know, just just come on, come on, come on. Uh, Get up, get up.
3: More CNN this morning to come after the break.
4: members are talking. We're uh, walking through. I think we'll find our way to get there. And uh, this is a healthy debate. It might not happen on the day we want it, but it's going
8: to happen. If you want to drain the swamp, you cannot put the biggest alligator in charge of the exercise.
1: A tale of two sides of the Republican party. Good morning, everyone. Poppy and I, you can see here in New York, Caitlin, live on Capitol Hill for day two Maybe there's a day three unprecedented speaker election that's happening.
3: Yeah, we'll see how many days it goes down in poppy. The Republican leadership drama will again be center stage in just a few hours from now. And the House is set to reconvene at noon. Kevin McCarthy thus far has failed to win enough votes to become House Speaker. How long will the GOP power struggle last? That is the questions many Republicans have. and. Are there any plans for a concession candidate in the works?
1: Also, we're learning now about Demar Hamlin, what he had to—that he had to be resuscitated twice after suffering a, a cardiac arrest and collapsing on the field during Monday Night Football. Our very own Wolf Blitzer spoke to Hamlin's Buffalo Bills teammate, Wolf, a lifelong Bills fan. He's going to join us in just a moment.
2: Yeah, that interview was so amazing. Also, an update on Jeremy Renner on the road to recovery. After a traumatic snow plowing accident, what first responders saw when they got to the scene?
1: Yeah, we're going to get to Caitlin in a moment. But first, I want to get back to talk about this new Republican majority in the House marked by a party rebellion that has thus far kept Kevin McCarthy from achieving his dream of becoming the Speaker of the House.
19: No persons having received a majority of the whole number of votes cast by surname, a speaker has not been elected. A speaker has not been elected. A speaker has not been
1: elected. Yeah. With emphasis, a speaker has not been elected. McCarthy failing on three separate ballots. It is the first time in a century members of Congress have needed multiple votes to choose a speaker. Right now, it's paralyzed the entire chamber There's no speaker. There's no sworn in members. Effectively, there is no House of Representatives right now. And in just a few hours, we expect the voting and the potential standoff will resume on the House floor. Twenty Republicans at last count have defected from the McCarthy camp. So the question remains, is there still a path for McCarthy to become speaker? Straight down to Capitol Hill. CNN's Jessica Dean. Good morning to you, Jessica. Is there a path?
0: Good morning, Don. That is the big question. Is there a path? Look, if you talk to McCarthy publicly, he says, of course, I'm staying in. I'm not dropping out. But privately, we know uh, that there are talks that this may not work for Kevin McCarthy. It's a simple math game right now. And I was in that chamber when, uh, for, what, four or five hours yesterday when they did the three failed votes, no speaker, uh, as we heard over and over again. And it became very clear uh, that this is a stalemate. And those uh, 20 members, a lot of them were sitting together talking talking to each other they remain quite united and so as we look ahead to today we know that they're going to uh, convene again at noon and the question is what happens now because we saw the first two votes 19 people voting against kevin mccarthy it then increased to 20 on the third vote that's certainly not the direction he wanted to go in but again he maintains he's not dropping out he's staying in here's what he said
4: I think at the end of the day, we'll get everybody At
18: this a, point, a, if you fail three times, how do you possibly pull this off?
4: You get to 218.
18: Mr. how do you do it?
4: You come back, you continue what you're doing right now, talking, and you solve the small problems.
0: But the fact remains, the reality is, Don, that he has been talking to these members uh, for weeks now, trying to wheel and deal and get them on board, and they are simply unmoved. They do not want to see Kevin McCarthy as speaker. So do we see a new candidate emerge? Uh, What kind of conversations happen today? Don, it's possible uh, that when they uh, convene at noon, they adjourn to have more conversations. That's what we're watching as we head into the rest of the day.
1: Ah, thank you very much for that, Jessica. Caitlin, drama, drama, drama all around.
0: Absolutely, and we'll see how long it continues,
3: because we did just hear a few moments ago from the former president, former President Trump, calling on those Republican holdouts to vote for Kevin McCarthy and close the deal. He's warning them to avoid an embarrassing defeat, he says. Joining us now to talk about this is the Florida Republican Congressman Brian Mast, who voted in support of Kevin McCarthy yesterday, we should note. Good morning. Thank Good morning. you for being here. How are you doing? Is that statement from Trump enough to get those 20 Republicans who voted against Kevin McCarthy over the line?
29: I don't think that that's the end-all be-all in it. You, in your opening, you talked about it being a power struggle. And I don't think the power struggle is exactly what everybody thinks it is. The power struggle is about decentralizing the speaker's office. And that's something that the Republican Party is working very seriously on. Uh, This happened under both parties, right? Under Republican in the majority, under Democrats in the majority, rank and file members like myself or Matt Gates, or others. We got to be a part of the process procedurally but did we really get to affect change in the way we wanted to, with open floor debate and things like that? And Speaker Pelosi, that's how she had control. That's how she kept Republicans out of the process, by having this iron grip on the the Speaker's office and all power coming out of that. That's what the Republican Party is getting rid of. That's the real power struggle.
3: So you're saying regardless of who ultimately becomes House Speaker, it is going to be a weakened position?
29: 100%. No matter who's the House Speaker, it will be Kevin McCarthy. But when that takes place, it will be a position, you can't say it's weakened, it's an empowering position for the members of the, of the conference. That makes it difficult for Republicans to correct course in the way we want to because that also empowers the Democrat members in a way that Republicans, when we were in the minority, we were not empowered. That that door goes both ways. But it's gonna make it a messy two years, but that's the real power struggle going on.
3: You still think Kevin McCarthy gets there?
29: I think Kevin McCarthy gets there. I know he gets there. How? How is by speaking behind closed doors uh, with individuals about what has to take place in this struggle to make sure that members feel empowered enough to know that if we're dealing with border issues, they can get their voice not just heard where people are barely on the floor listening to them, but heard in a way that their amendments get to move forward, be a part of the underlying bill text, and actually affect change in America or on energy policy or on whatever. That's the assurances that people are looking for, that they're not going to be blocked by a centralized power in the Speaker's office when they're duly elected like everybody else.
3: But part of that would be getting the Republicans who did not vote for you to vote for you. And I just talked to Byron Donalds, Mm -hmm. who switched his vote yesterday. He says he hasn't heard from McCarthy.
29: Well, uh, there might be some, uh, you know, maybe some other people that he's speaking to right now. I couldn't say where all of that relationship is. I think if I'm putting this in a matter of fact way, understanding how these things go behind closed doors, When people are whipping, hey, are you going to be with me on this vote, will you vote for me for speaker, this and that, understanding that these can go to multiple ballots. A lot of times the whip count will be, will you be with me on the first ballot? How about the second ballot? After that, will you still be with me? And people say, well, listen, you got me for two ballots, but on the third ballot, I'm going to have to do something else. I don't know that that's what happened with Byron, but I would suspect it was something
3: like that. You're still committed to voting for Kevin McCarthy. I'm
29: committed to voting for Kevin McCarthy. He has done the work in helping Republicans get elected, in laying out a path forward for Republicans to go forward and correct these paralyzing issues for the United States of America. He's the right leader for
3: Does us. he have a strategy here though?
29: In dealing with becoming Speaker of the House? Yes. The strategy is to continue the dialogue, continue the debate with this, you know, I'm not to to overly use this terminology, but as you said, the power struggle, but it's like I said, the power struggle of decentralizing power out of the Speaker's
12: office.
3: If they're they're continuing, excuse me for interrupting, if they're continuing, do they, was there was it smart to adjourn yesterday? Because I had heard that Kevin McCarthy initially did not want them to adjourn. He wanted them to keep voting. Should they have adjourned, or was that a mistake?
29: You know, I think the adjournment actually fell under something that happens more often than not in Washington, d c. and it goes to what happened right at Christmas time. Timing and people wanting to be uh, somewhere else in many cases is unfortunately, what affects policy in many places. There's a $1.7 trillion spending package that went through that McConnell and others pushed through in the Senate. I was absolutely pissed off about that, especially with Republicans moving into the majority. And why did they do it? Because they wanted to be home for Christmas. As much as I wanted to be with my family yesterday and those that came in town for the special occasion of swearing in, there was work to be done and I think we should have continued doing that work. But ultimately I think that's why there was an adjournment. So everybody could go be with their, their family members and their guests that are in
3: basically they got tired of being in there in the room uh kevin mccarthy and republicans had this closed door meeting yesterday morning where he had this very aggressive tone saying basically that he deserved the speakership that he had worked for it there were some criticisms of that, that it was too aggressive, and that it kind of hardened those who were against him. Do you think he took the right tone yesterday? I think
29: he took the exact right tone. It was a, it was a tone where, you know, sometimes when you're debating with people, it is confrontational, right? We're still part of the same family. We sit down together at Thanksgiving and we don't get a, along with everybody that are our own flesh and blood. Sometimes it gets heated in that way. Don't think that it was just one-sided. But in the end, we're still a team. We're gonna work through this. And- We'll get the job done for America in the way that we promised.
3: What does what we saw yesterday say about what happens when Republicans are in charge?
29: I think it shows that we're reflective. Truthfully, this is going to be an incredibly messy two years. It a messy two years because we're allowing the process in Washington, in, in the Capitol, to play out the way the founders designed it in a messy way where everybody on both sides of the aisle gets to be a part of it. That's gonna make it actually more difficult for us to get the things done that we wanna get done. But we're reflective enough to say, that's the way things are supposed to work here, not the way that Speaker Pelosi had them work. So
3: what you're saying is, what happened yesterday is what we're going to see more of on repeat.
29: Yes, you're gonna see a messy two years in Washington because everybody's gonna get a say so in a way that they haven't.
3: Okay, Brian Mass, thank you for joining us. We'll wait to see if you actually do vote today when you convene back at noon. You say you're still voting for Kevin McCarthy. Thank you very
2: much Thanks, for your time. Thank you. I think you just asked the, the question of the morning, Caitlin. What does it say about Republican leadership? We'll see. That is his perspective. A lot still to happen today. Also, on our top story also this morning, uh, on Demar Hamlin, we have new details about the Buffalo Bills' safety, how he's doing. His uncle, Doreen Glenn, told CNN that his nephew had been resuscitated twice. That is a new development we didn't know about. He was resuscitated on the field and again at the hospital. Currently, he is sedated. He's on a ventilator to take some of the strain off his lungs. Glenn said doctors had to flip him over onto his chest in what our medical experts call a prone position to try to ease breathing, reduce some of that fluid buildup. So the next step in Hamlin's recovery is to get him to breathe on his own. But overall, Glenn says Hamlin appears to be trending upward. So that's a positive sign. Listen.
11: Man, we were all in tears, man, and I'm not a crier. But, like, I, I never crashed so hard in my life, man, just, just to know, like, like, my nephew basically died on the field and they brought him back to life. I mean, that's just heartbreaking. And I'm just glad he's just still alive and able to fight um, and trying to get better and recover.
2: Tributes pouring out so many messages of support. Teams across the league have changed their social media profile pictures to pray for DeMar with, of course, his jersey number three there.
1: And this just in to CNN this morning, a high ranking official with the Buffalo Bills organization telling CNN's Coy Wire that after uh, day and night long meetings on Tuesday, they broke down crying, sobbing because of the heaviness of the current situation. The incident clearly having a huge impact on the organization and in an exclusive interview with our very own CNN's Wolf Blitzer, DeMar Hamlin's teammate, uh, Bill's offensive tackle, Deion Dawkins, describing what it was like to witness Hamlin. Collapsing on the field.
14: In that moment, like you kind of just realize, like, like you really can't take anything for granted. And looking at a teammate, a brother, um, like on the ground, it's it's just it's just a drastic state. To see a brother and laying down, and everyone else just kind of just, you know, just just come on, come on, come on, uh, get up, get up, and. And 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 all of those drastic emotions like that are pouring out. Just just seeing him, not one second of our life is promised. And with this play, it is showing that that one play later, it is it is taking De- Demar, a 24 year old man, to into his knee, and he's fighting. And uh, for everybody that thinks that oh, it's it's about a fantasy point or you know my my uh, and my draft whatever. Like, like, it's just, like, this is real life.
1: This is real life. Well, our very own colleague, there he is, Seniors Wolf Blitzer, joins us now. Wolf, good morning to you. Thank you so much. Listen, it get, doesn't get more real than that. I mean, those guys were right there when it happened and witnessed all of it.
23: You know, he's 6'5", about 350 pounds, the offensive tackle, Deion Dawkins. And to just think that he, he's, like everybody else, he started crying right away as soon as we saw... Uh, DeMar stand up and then collapse on the ground and all the medical emergency personnel had to come out. I was watching it Monday Night Football like so many other millions of people, and it was so shocking to me. I've seen players get injured, but to see someone collapse like that and then learn that it's a cardiac arrest and all of that, it, it was just so, so awful and so heartbreaking, especially for those of us who are lifelong Buffalo Bills fans and to see what's going on
2: this interview i hope people watch the whole thing wolf at the end i mean you're such a lifelong bills fan you know he said to you Dion, i love you wolf you mean so much to us and i know he and the whole team mean so much to you i was really struck by this part wolf that i want to play about how grateful they were that they didn't have to go back on the field and finish that game here's what he told you
14: i'm i'm truly blessed that we didn't have to keep playing. The fact that we didn't have to go back, like, like out, out there on that field and play, um, it just shows that there, there is care, and uh, that's all that we could ever ask for is that you know we get treated as people, because you know, like most people just treat us as, as athletes and as superstars and as some, and some people like celebrities, but in that moment, um, they treated us like people.
2: What did you think when you heard that, Wolf?
23: You know, it, it's true uh, because you know we've uh, those of us who are lifelong football fans, and I'm a lifelong football fan, a Buffalo Bills fan, since my dad uh, took me to games when I was a little boy growing up in Buffalo. But uh, you know, you see players get injured, but to see something like this, which is a life and death situation, unfold on the playing field, it's it's so heart wrenching just to think about it, uh, and we're not used to it. I had never seen anything like this before. Uh, where, where a player was on the ground and potentially in a life-threatening situation as was unfolding for DeMar. So it, it's just awful. It was just an awful situation. And for not just for me, but for millions of people who were watching and later watched some of those yeah. clips. It's just heartbreaking. People who aren't even interested in football were so moved. And if you take a look at uh, Deion Dawkins' hat, you know uh, it, 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 it's a special GoFundMe page that uh, DeMar had created to help you know, poor kids in his hometown outside of Pittsburgh. And it, it, originally, he, when he created it, he was hoping to raise about $2,500. You, uh, you see him there with the hat. Uh, it's now raised almost, what, five or $6 million? Six, $6 million. Yeah, $6 million as a result of that, the Chasing Ems Foundation. Yeah. Uh, it, it's really a, an amazing thing, and I'm so proud of all of these guys for doing what they're doing. And Deion Dawkins too, uh, he's got a foundation that's raised a lot of money for the families of the victims of the top supermarket massacre in Buffalo where mm-hmm. a, a killer went into that supermarket and just started killing grandmothers and others for no reason at all. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's just to see these players do what they're doing in addition to being great football players, but doing for the community what they're doing, it, it's so meaningful.
1: Hey, Wolf, you know they're announcing they said that they weren't going to resume the game uh, and then they would possibly possibly do it later. Did you talk to Dawkins about that? What was his reaction?
23: Yeah, he, he, he was pleased that the NFL decided to postpone this game. Uh, and those of us you know, who, who know football a little bit, uh, there's no way these players could have gone out and right. played a regular game after seeing one of their friends and one of their brothers lying on the ground uh, in cardiac arrest. Uh, like that, a life-and-death situation. How do you go back and start playing very aggressive football in a situation like that? So I'm glad they've decided to postpone the, the Bengals-Bills game. The Bills are, uh, are at least scheduled this weekend to play the New England Patriots. We'll see if that unfolds.
1: Well, um, Dion De- Dawkins speaks for a lot of us. Wolf, we love you, and we know how much of a fan you are and yeah. how much this, this really hurt your heart to see this. I haven't heard all of us, but you're, you know, you being a lifelong fan... Thank you, Wolf Blitzer. We really appreciate Thank you, Dan. it. Make sure you tune in to Wolf on the Situation Room, 6 p.m. Eastern, right here on CNN. Always a great show. Always a great show. So, straight ahead, we're going to be joined by an NHL athletic trainer who saved two hockey players' lives when they suffered the same chest injury mid game.
2: Also, there is heavy rain, flooding, hurricane force winds. We're live in San Francisco where they're getting ready for a dangerous storm system. More CNN This Morning to come after the break.
11: One thing you learn very early in football is that football is 100 percent injury sport. We understand uh, that these things happen when you have high speed collisions with, you know, world class athletes. It's something that makes the game exciting, but it's also something that makes you very sober.
1: So that was former NFL player Benjamin Watson talking about why he thinks football is inherently dangerous. Well, DeMar Hamlin did not have a pulse after he collapsed in the field. Staff used CPR and a defibrillator to revive him. And our next guest is someone who has a sense of what that medical team went through. In 1998, St. Louis Blues head athletic trainer Ray Barilli ran onto the ice after star player Chris Pronger was hit square in the chest by a puck, which stopped his heart. Barilli revived Pronger. In a tweet thread about Hamlin yesterday, Pronger credited Borilli and the Detroit Red Wings medical staff for his survival. More than 20 years later in 2020, Borilli did it again. He revived another player, Jay Bomeister, who collapsed on the bench due to a cardiac episode. Bomeister also survived.
27: And I just wanted to say thank you to Ray Borelli and the training staffs of uh, both our team and Anaheim and the doctors and all the paramedics.
1: So Ray Borelli joins us now. Ray, good morning to you. Thank you for joining us. It's a very important um, subject um, and a very sensitive one, as a matter of fact. When you saw what happened on the field in Cincinnati uh, to DeMar Hamlin, what did you think? What went through your mind?
17: Uh, good morning, Don. Good morning, Poppy. Yeah, I, I had flashbacks. Um, I thought of uh, uh, Chris Pronger's situation. I thought of Jay Bowmeister's situation immediately and uh, uh, thought about the Buffalo Bills staff, thought about the physicians on the field, um, Cincinnati Bengals staff who were there to help them. and uh, yeah, definitely had some flashbacks.
2: Can you talk about the different? I mean, first of all, you're a lifesaver literally twice mm-hmm. over, two times over, 98 and 2020. And I know you're humble and you don't like to take credit. You say it's the whole team around you. I'm sure that's true, but it's you. But things really changed. You know, you you had to, yeah. in 98, use something called a risky maneuver called a precordial thump. And then in 2020, yeah. you could use this defibrillator that Don and I have been talking about so much being so critical.
6: Well,
17: medical advances, uh, you know, as we've all seen, are just incredible. In 98, we didn't have a defibrillator. My understanding was there wasn't even a defibrillator in the ambulance. And when I learned CPR back in the 70s, they taught a precordial thump, which is you take your fist and you pound it squarely on the sternum, and and that's supposed to uh, restart the heart. You do it quickly. It has to be seen. And the fact that I saw Pronger go down with this particular injury – um, the commotial cordis that he was diagnosed with. It made sense because we didn't have a defibrillator. And uh, Dr. Uh, William Bierenbaum was on the ice with me. And I looked at uh, Dr. B and I said, you're, you're doing compressions and I'm starting breaths. We started to cut off his jersey and his shoulder pads, gave him a, a good uh, hit on the chest. And thankfully for us, Chris Pronger uh, converted on the ice. And uh, uh, we were very, very fortunate in that situation.
1: So everyone's wondering what Damar Hamlin is like. What is, what's next for him? And, and you can judge, I guess, by other people's recovery. What were their recoveries like?
17: I, I can't I can't speak to to uh, Damar's you know uh, situation personally. I, I'm not. I don't have that information. I can tell you with with Chris Pronger, we we he ran through a bunch of cardiology tests with uh, our uh, cardiologist at Washington University School of Medicine and Washington University Orthopedics. Uh, our team physicians cleared him he returned to play um finished a 12-year career hall of fame and won a stanley cup um and with jay bowmeister it was slightly different in the fact that jay uh had an arrhythmia uh not from a a contusion or or a, a direct blow and uh um subsequently had to retire because of this uh this cardiac arrhythmia that he had but it's I can only imagine. I I, I know I I know exactly how the Buffalo Bills medical staff must feel right now Um, and also Cincinnati. Uh, We we practice this. Um, The Professional Hockey Athletic Trainer Society and the NHL Team Physician Society. We meet every summer. We review all these protocols. We go over the latest equipment, the latest uh, um, uh, protocols and details, and we Mm -hmm. practice them. And uh, so we're, we're prepared, hopefully, never to have to use these techniques and protocols. Um, and I'm sure the Bills staff and the Bengals staff feel the same way as I did after both of those incidents, where you're replaying it in your head, trying to figure out what you could have done differently. Uh, and again, in my situation, we, we had two uh, excellent outcomes. Um, and that, that's what I'm most proud of. Mm.
2: So professional sports has folks like you. There are not a a lot of folks like you, but they hope to have folks like you, right? They have all these teams and they have all this prep and they have these defibrillators and they have ambulances on standby. But kids' teams don't. And that's what we've been talking a lot about. Um, Dr. Lena Wen, who's a doctor, also a mother, contributor here at CNN, has this piece in The Washington Post this morning. And she says this highlights the need to make defibrillators or AEDs readily accessible in all sports facilities, especially youth sports facilities, do you think she's right?
17: Oh, totally concur with that. So, being a youth hockey parent, um, yeah. my two sons played, and um, uh, I, for a couple of things I would do whenever I got to the rink is I was always always look for the exit, wanted to know where to go in case there was a fire, uh-huh. and also look for the defibrillator that was located. And fortunately, because of my job, I'm able to have defibrillators and would carry one with me if I knew I was going to a facility that didn't have one this was after 98 um, and so yes I concurred with that statement I think if you're a youth hockey or a youth parent um, and your son or daughter plays sports you need to locate the defibrillator wherever they're practicing playing um, and it's not just games it's also a practice that these incidents can happen and you need to make right. sure that that facility has that if they don't you need to push to make sure that they do.
2: Gosh, so that's good advice. I never yes. thought to yeah. think about that or ask about that.
1: I called my doctor, and that yesterday did it, you said, to get one said, at home? I said if I asked him if I should have one, and he and what said did he, say? he didn't think it was necessary. He said, but I can get you one. They're on the market. You have to know how to use it. But um, you know, if you have yeah. an elderly person in the home, it may be different, or someone who has heart issues. But listen, uh, getting back to what Poppy just said and Dr. Lena Wynn, I just want to encourage everyone to read Dr. Lena Wynn's. Um, uh, uh, op-ed. op-ed in the Washington Post and it's mm-hmm. called it says Damar Hamlin's cardiac arrest is a wake-up call to youth sports yep. and I'm sure you can agree with that sir as Mr. a
2: hockey dad Mr. as Verrilli, you said
1: thank you for joining us oh, best 100%. of luck to you
2: thank you Ray thank you Ray thank you thank you all right so so an update since the show yesterday we've heard from actor Jeremy Renner uh he is opening up about the snowplow accident that landed him in intensive care
3: and also back here on Capitol Hill, what we can expect today on day two of the speakership vote. Dana Bash is going to join us. This is CNN's special live coverage. Just hours from now here on Capitol Hill, another historic second day of voting is set to get underway to determine who is going to hold the speaker's gavel in the 118th Congress, a major question that nobody knows the answer to. After Kevin McCarthy failed three times to secure the votes yesterday amid a revolt in his party that has angered many and also exposed deep divisions in the Republican ranks.
10: 19 Republicans decided to blow up the speaker's race, and so we can't pursue our agenda that our, our voters support. Um, but I'm hoping to see more conversations and, and hopefully things will change.
3: CNN's chief political correspondent and co-anchor of State of the Union, Dana Bash, is joining us now to talk about the pure chaos. I mean, this, it, It's hard to really overstate what's happening, but this has not happened in a century to where all of these effects and the ramifications of not having a
18: speaker are now on full display. It's really true. And, you know, even though going into yesterday, we all were told over and over again, there was no plan B. I kind of in the back of my mind was wondering, well, maybe there is some plan for when, not if, for when Kevin McCarthy lost. And there really wasn't. His plan is just to stick it out. And that is what has been really fascinating in talking to so many uh, members of Congress, particularly those who are in the only Kevin camp. And that is, they are as entrenched and as dug in as those are against them, maybe even more so. And the determination is yes, for McCarthy, but it seems to me in talking to these members, it's more against the chaos caucus. It's more against. Those, those now 20 rebels uh, to say enough is enough. Because basically they feel like they would be giving in yes. to, I mean, even Don
3: Bacon, Bacon from Nebraska was referring to them as the Taliban 19. That was something that Byron Donalds earlier uh, said he thought was irresponsible language. But for those who are still committed to Kevin McCarthy, and there are many of them, Brian Mast is one of them. What is, does
18: it seem to you that they have a strategy here of what today's going to look like? No. It really doesn't. They were meeting late into the night, uh, McCarthy and and the people who are trying to figure out that strategy. But the answer is no. One of the things that is possible, I think possible, not probable, is some kind of math jujitsu, which is uh, trying to find a way to lower the threshold of votes needed. Right now it's 218. But if there are fewer people actually there voting, that means the threshold is lower and it could mean that they could get McCarthy. Now, the only problem with that is that you have to have Democrats not voting because if you lower the threshold enough by Republicans, it means you have more Democrats voting and Hakeem Jeffries is the speaker. I mean, these are the kinds of things that nobody even thought would be considered or talked about in any other way, shape or form because any other potential speaker coming into uh, a mess like this, would have seen the writing on the wall and said, I'm out, and McCarthy won't. But if you Democrats' vote, that would be them essentially helping Kevin right. McCarthy Which, become speaker. I don't, I don't see that, do you? I don't Alexandra
3: Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was talking to Paul Gosar about that, she said yesterday, and she said that was not in Democrats' playbook.
18: Yeah, I mean, my understanding is that she was, she, she wanted the chaos to continue because the Democrats, although they don't, I, I don't want to argue, I don't want to make um, I don't want to overstate the idea the Democrats, you know, don't want to govern here. But politically, watching the mess on the Republican side, I mean, what's the number one rule in politics? If your opponent is, you know, messing up, you get out of the way. Yeah, you just let them continue.
3: But when it comes to the Republican chaos, Brian Mass said something that was just so interesting to me, which is essentially that, like, what happened yesterday, they think is the new normal. I know. And that is that what was going really to like. fa-
18: I heard him say that to you. Um, I don't even know that it's the new normal. It's the normal. I mean, we've been seeing this chaos. It just hasn't been as prominent because they haven't been in charge for two years. I mean, if you think about even when you were covering the White House under Donald Trump and, uh, you know, they had at least the White House, there was definitely chaos. It was masked a bit uh, because there was so much focus on him and he sucked up so much of the oxygen, but, this is very much what has been going on in the GOP for, for 10, 12 years. It's just heightened, and it almost is as le- if just where our conversation started. The people who are pro-Kevin are trying to break the fever. Yeah. We'll see if they can.
3: We'll see if they succeed. Trump has come out telling them to vote for Kevin McCarthy today. We'll see if that works. I know you'll be covering this all day, Dana. Yes, so with you, you, I'm sure. Yes, so of course. Another long day here on Capitol Hill. I'll be back later for special coverage on today's voting. Don, Poppy, you just, it's hard to predict what's going to happen.
1: (laughs) It is. Dana, I think you, are exactly right. The camera's now trained on them. There's been chaos yeah. in that caucus and in the Republicans.
2: When you said that, Don's like, there you go, Dana. <laughs> <laughs> That's what really happened. I wasn't here.
1: surprised. I was like, here we go. It's playing out for everybody to see it now.
2: That's exactly right. Yeah. Exactly Thank you right. guys. Hi. Guys. Hi. Hi. Thank the, you. Good morning. We'll watch you all day, all night.
1: Happy New, New Year to you goes. and Jonah, by the way.
18: Thank
2: you, you Thanks. too, and okay. Tim, right. and the doggies. And
1: the pups, thank you.
2: <laughs> Thanks, guys. We are uh, getting new details this morning about how exactly how actor Jeremy Renner hurt himself on that snow plow, how he's doing this morning. The sheriff whose team rescued him will be with us next. So this
1: morning, actor Jeremy Renner is speaking out after his snowplow accident. He shared this picture on Instagram, thanking fans for their kind words. Well, Renner suffered blunt chest trauma and orthopedic injuries and underwent two surgeries. The sheriff's office says that the actor was helping a family member who was stuck in deep snow near his home in Reno, Nevada, when his own snowplow, which weighs more than 14,000 pounds, ran over him. Washoe County, Nevada Sheriff, Darren Balaam joins us now. His deputies were the ones who responded to the emergency and we're so glad that he's here and he's g- glad that you were there as well. Good morning to us. Can you walk us through this accident scene when you and your team arrived, what was happening?
16: Uh, so uh, approximately about 8.55, uh, we got a, received a call of a 911 of a snowplow uh, versus pedestrian. Uh, for us, we had just gotten that major storm on the west coast, so there was about three feet of snow And our highway going up was closed. Uh, So when we got there, what we saw was uh, Mr. Renner and his snowcat. He had been plowing the neighborhood. It's private roads where he lives. Uh, He had gotten out after he had unstuck one of his family members and the truck uh, was speaking to him. He noticed that the piston bully is what we call it as a snowplow started to move. He went to go back into the uh, snowplow to stop it, uh, at which point a family member and witnesses say they kind of saw him getting Heading to the cab and then he disappears. Uh, and then later uh, is found on the middle of the road as a clock cat passed him uh, and it ran him over. The family member quickly ran to a neighbor's house, um, asked for help. Those neighbors came out with some um, towels and then fire from Truckee Meadows Fire Protection District and North Lake Tahoe uh, came down and then we care flighted him uh, when we arrived. Uh, he was speaking when our, our deputies arrived on scene Um, You know, for what had just occurred, he was in good spirits. And then we rushed him to one of
2: our hospitals. What was he saying? Uh, You know,
16: I didn't get what he was saying um, to the deputies um, or the fire. But I know he was conversing with him when I talked to him in the fire. Um, You know, I I think if I had to assume he was uh, probably in a bit of shock. But he was awake and uh, speaking to him.
2: One thing that I love about, that I've learned about him since this happened is what a big party is and what a big fanny is of the community. They, that he's called a Reno Knight. Am I saying, Reno Knight? Am I saying that right? That he's just like he such he an is, advocate.
16: Uh, he is. And he's one of our honorary deputies here at the sheriff's office. That's one of our nonprofits, uh, the members in our community. And they help us do Shop of the Sheriff where they uh, spend $50,000 and donate it. And he's one of those members oh. You know, he does a lot for our community. He came and sh- when I took office in 2019, uh, he showed up for shop for a sheriff, and you should see the kids and the parents. Um, <laughs> and he took the time out yeah. of his days, to see autographs, shop with kids. Uh, so he does a lot in our community. And what I, I truly enjoy about Mr. Renner is a lot of times he does it and no one knows. Um, it's out of the kindness of his heart that he wants to make an impact. And for us, we're glad he's OK and he's on a speedy recovery. Yeah. Um, but he does a lot in our community.
1: Yeah. Um, if not for that cushion of snow, I mean, that was a big cushion between him and the ground there. That, I'm sure that helped. Am I wrong?
16: Uh, you know what? It, it did. And, uh, you know, it was just one of those tragic events. Um, and that's why we did the press conference yesterday because there was a lot of misinformation. This is just a tragic accident. Um, but thank goodness, you know, everybody was watching out for him and, and he's uh, on the mend. Yeah. Amen.
1: Amen. Thank you, Sheriff Balaam. Appreciate it.
16: Well, thank you guys. Have a great day. You too. You
1: take care. So parts of California bracing for a possible life-threatening, powerful storm. The area is expected to be hit. worst. we're going to tell you straight ahead.
2: So we've been telling you about the severe weather across the south all morning and tornado watch has just been issued for Florida, Georgia, South Carolina. Yeah, as storms move across the southeast, there are over 4 million people under the watch. We'll stay on top of that. This is parts of California also bracing for the onslaught of another powerful storm over the next few days. Flood watch is in effect for at least 15 million people, even after catastrophic flooding in the past week. The storm is also expected to bring high winds that could trigger power outages across the state. Stephanie Elam joins us live in San Francisco this morning. Not a nice sight.
19: I mean, it depends on how you look at it, right? When you look at the drought that we've been in, Poppy, but you're, it's, yeah. it's definitely colorful right now because of the fact that on New Year's Eve, there were massive storms that really terrorized this area as far as flooding, as far as roads being washed out. And now we've got this bomb cyclone off the coast, over the Pacific Ocean, that is streamlining all this moisture in here. You can see it's already raining. It started about 4 a.m. local here today. So because of the amount of moisture that's gonna come in here, we are seeing people putting up sandbags again, uh, blocking off the barrages, people trying to make sure that roads are passable. We've seen other parts of the state where they're opening up uh, some places for people to come and take shelter. They were telling them to evacuate early, all because the amount of water that we're going to get here, guys.
1: Did You, you mentioned the drought, Stephanie. I mean, how people are people reacting? Because you need the rain.
19: Yeah. Yeah, we, we definitely need the rain. We're in like a 1,200 year historic drought that's how bad this has been and we need the water And so some of the smaller reservoirs are filling up with all this precipitation but just to put this into perspective last year we saw a very wet beginning to the rainy season and we were like yes we're so excited and then it was followed up by the driest beginning (laughs) of a year ever on record for the first three months of the year so where we saw these record numbers in january by april we were at record lows so we needed to stay cold and we need the precipitation to come, yeah. not so much at one time. But here we go for this storm.
1: Speaking of perspective, the last time I spoke to you, you were in the Bahamas. <laughs> at Atlantis
19: on New Year's. <laughs> Sorry, I
2: didn't mean to laugh. <laughs>
19: <laughs> Quite the different look. Quite the different look. My nails are still very excited, though. My nails I think, are still yeah, okay. they are. Look at you. <laughs>
1: All right, Steph.
19: Thank you, Steph. <laughs> All
1: right, be well. Take care. So uh, let's talk about De- DeMar Hamlin, because, it, you know, you had the terrifying collapse on the football field touched a nerve, really, all of us. And there's been a tremendous response to the online GoFundMe campaign that Hamlin launched in 2020 to provide toys for children in need in Pennsylvania, in the community there where he grew up. As of this morning, it has crossed the $6 million Mark, there have been more than 200,000 donations to the site. it only expecting like $2,500, $2,800, mm-hmm. which was the gold. Well, the fundraising team says that the donations will support Hamlin's Foundation, which holds toy drives, back-to-school drives, kids' camps, and much more.
2: You know what? I keep thinking, wait until he wakes up, because he's going to wake up to that news.
1: Yeah, and yes. And right? Something positive. We, we are rooting for him. Our thoughts... Uh, and our prayers are with him All and his them. family. All of them. Um, and especially mom. Mom, me, we're, thinking me about, yeah. Yeah. we're thinking about you. We're okay,
2: thinking well, about you. Okay, well, we will you. see you here with Caitlin tomorrow morning. CNN News. Maybe, Resonance. we don't know. Well, she'll be on the show. She might just be in D.C. That's what I, okay. if there's no speaker. Yeah. <laughs> oh, she's in D.C. again, I've just been told. Okay, we'll see you. Bye. Bye. <laughs> That's it for this episode of CNN
3: This Morning. You can check out our lineup of podcasts and showcasts at cnn.com slash audio or in your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening.
7: Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together.